Guess what, ghouls and goblins? The Spook Boys have officially joined Patreon. That's right, baby. The show as you know it will remain the same, ad-free, but our patrons will have exclusive access to bonus content. Interviews, franchise deep dives, even horror television. Wait, did you say television? You heard right, Sally. Becoming a patron means you're not only helping us keep the show running, but that it also remains available on all platforms, and again, ad-free. For more details, head on over to patreon.com, where you can become an official member of the Spoop Troop today. All right, give me just another second. We uh, got some pizza, so I'm like slamming some pizza into my face. Oh, so uh, before ASMR here, huh? Yeah, mm, yeah, what everybody loves, eating on mic. It's a mukbang. Yeah, absolutely. We would try to do better at this, but, you know, we're Americans. What can we say? <laughs> All, <laughs> All right, listeners, yeah. keep going. He said go along with this intro, and that was what you cooked up, bro? Yeah, non-intro, exactly. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Watch If You Dare, a horror movie podcast hosted by me, your monster movie boy, Aaron, and my cowardly co-host, Derek, in which we dissect fears, phobias, Social relevancy of horror movies across all ages and subgenres, and you know, kind of approach that from the standpoint of me. I love horror movies, and Derek uh, is loving horror movies, but didn't when we started out. I love horror movies, but I'm still scared of them sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. So this episode, we are going to be covering a very fucking fun movie, one of my favorites from the last couple of years. To talk about it, we have on one of my buds that I work with now. Dash Chain is here to join us Hello. on this conversation. Thank you for joining us. Absolutely. I'm excited. We are going to be discussing Jordan Peele's Us. So, yeah, very excited. Derek, I've been excited for you to watch this one, and I know you've been holding out until, mm-hmm. you know, we covered it on the show specifically. So here we are. Now let's talk about it. Before we get into that, obviously, we'll do recommendations in a minute. But uh, Dash, this is your first time on the show. So... Tell us a little bit of your background with horror. Was it something that you had always been into? Were you like kind of a weird scaredy cat kid and you found your way into horror later? What's kind of your background with the genre as a whole and movies specifically? I was petrified as a child. I was like scared, but I liked being scared, but I hated being scared, if that makes sense. Yeah. Even uh, very young, I was pretty obsessed with Jason Voorhees and Leatherface, even though I had literally never even seen the movies. Anytime I saw anything about them or anything, I was like, yeah, that's so tight. (laughs) Um, But yeah, if I was watching something and it scared me, like I would be, you know, like tucked under the covers, but like can't take my eyes off it or change the channel or anything. But I started to really kind of fall in love with them. I'd say probably like my late teens. I don't even honestly know what to chalk that up to. It's time to finally do this. I always knew I was going to be, you know, kind of big into it, but never really took the plunge and then started to appreciate everything and love it. One of the big ones that kind of sucked me in was 
the OG Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's just like, oh yeah, it's just a beautiful movie. Like if you took the horror elements out of it, which would be hard to do, and it'd still be the same movie. It's just like gorgeous, and a lot of things about it really speak to me, and visually and aesthetically and everything like that. Oh yeah, that movie is the crux of our podcast. That's our very first episode I we ever did. That. It's probably your in your top ten movies ever, not just horror movies, yeah. just ever, Aaron. That was going to be my question for you, actually. Like, what are some of your like all-time favorites over the years that you've watched? So, Texas Chainsaw. I'm obsessed with Hereditary and Midsummer. Big, big fan of those. The original Candyman. Big, massive fan of that. I think that's. I don't even think anyone's really captured that feeling. Um, since then, honestly, it's it's kind of one of one in my opinion for horror movies and movies in general. Uh, like more obscure stuff beyond the Black Rainbow fantastic it's uh okay yeah yeah makes you kind of just go like what did i just watch i don't know how i feel about that (laughs) movies that make you question literally everything i'm i'm always in yeah i guess peek behind the curtain a little bit but when i started working at this new job and dash and i were like getting to know each other and kind of just talking through movies it was immediately that same thing that every weirdo does when they like go to a new place and they immediately find the other weirdos to like talk about, you know, movies or music or whatever. Pretty immediately, it was that moment from Step Brothers. Like, what? Did we just become best friends? Yep. One of the first things that came out of his mouth was, Oh, yeah, have you seen Mandy? And I was like, Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> so we definitely have Dash earmarked for our Mandy episode when that happens. We might have to get you on for Beyond the Black Rainbow, too, because that's still on our list as well. I need that. Yeah. Hell yeah. Cool. Well, uh, yeah, thank you for coming on. This is going to be definitely a movie we've been looking forward to for a while, honestly. So I'm, I'm glad that we're finally here. This was a good excuse to go ahead and jump into this one. Our original plans kind of got thrown around a little bit, but whatever. We're still making it work. Dash was generous enough with his time to be flexible and jump on. So better sooner rather than later. Cool. Well, yeah, let's jump into recommendations like we always do, where we just kind of discuss any other TV, movies, books, games, video games, whatever that we've been getting into lately that's been horror related. So, uh, Dash, you are the guest this episode. We'll let you go first. What have you got that you want to discuss with everyone? I guess horror related that's recent. I need everyone to stop slandering the new season of True Detective. Some people come to Alaska to escape, get away from something. Sometimes they come here looking for something. Sometimes they find it. I'm working on this case. These men disappeared 48 hours ago. It was the last sunset before the long night. Theory is they went out to watch it. It was a weather event. Yeah. I'm treating this like a murder case. How scared do you have to be to run out in the ice without any shoes? Hey, this is a crime scene! No more fucking around! You think I want to work with you? Take a look in the mirror. No one can stand you. I'm just gonna do this one thing. Work together to close Miss Case. And that's it for the two of us. Yes, it is. You don't really think we're going to find them, do you? You're the one who believes in miracles. We ain't got shit. We don't have anything. Sure you're up for this? It's the third day of dark and it's already getting weird. This is Ennis. 
Some questions just don't have answers. The night country, it takes us one by one. It's crazy the shit we survive. I love it. <laughs> I want to jump in. That's going to be soon for sure. Yeah. I mean, like, listen, here's the thing, right? We're now on season four. Okay. So if you're chasing the magic of season one still, I feel like it's time to give it up. It's a different show. Yeah. Uh, I mean, every season has honestly been different. So if you're like, yeah, maybe season four, they'll bring the vibes back from season one. I think it's it's time to move on. But this season has been fantastic. I love how heavily the thing inspired it is. There's just something about being isolated in a frozen tundra that just absolutely terrifies me to my core. <laughs> There's not many more places I would rather not be than just stuck in the middle of Alaska you have a chance of literally getting washed out to sea under ice. I mean, that, that's like, terrifying. I can't even, yeah, I can't even <laughs> think about that because my brain's like, that's mm, not real. Yeah, no, that makes my claustrophobia like go nuts thinking about that. Nope. No, yeah. thanks. I'm the one who runs our socials. Mm -hmm. So I see a lot of horror TV and horror movie reactions all the time. The two things I've been noticing about the season are one, a lot of the people that are complaining, like you said, are, are making those arguments. But a lot of them are already bad faith arguments because they're like, well, it's female oriented. I don't like yeah. this. The original creator is no longer attached. And I mean, Aaron and I, we just did our Patreon series on the first season of True Detective. The original creator, he kind of flirts with some problematic ideas yeah. historically. So, And he's also talked shit about this new season, yeah. which is kind of shitty of him, in my opinion. But anyway... And then the second thing I've seen, which is more legitimate, is that this season is legitimately horrifying. Like, this is a horror TV show, 100%. like capital H horror, more so than even the first season was. Yeah, I think one of the other things that's so funny to me is when people are using the fact that the original creator doesn't like what's going on as their, like, dunk. And I'm like, but you also talk shit about season two and threes. Mm -hmm. And that yeah. was him, so, <laughs> you know, keep it consistent at the very least. Yeah. Pizzolatto, whatever. Between leaning heavily onto, like, tired tropes and doing the, like, creator thing that drives me crazy where they can't take any kind of criticism and immediately jump to being defensive and trying to jump down people's throats. And then all of his plagiarism accusations as well, too, like, bro. Go figure your own shit out. Let somebody else work on this show and give them a chance and let's see where it goes. Issa Lopez seems like a great choice. She seems to be knocking it out of the park. People seem to be liking it. The season finale is tonight, so I guess we'll kind of see, you know, what the consensus is tomorrow. But generally speaking, the vibe seems to be very positive for this new season. So I'm looking forward to checking it out. Positive from reviews, I trust, because it is getting review bombed a lot. But yeah. again, I think that's a lot of bad faith. A lot of it's bad faith, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. What else have you got? Uh, horror. Honestly, not much lately. There's some legwork I would like to do. With me, Like I'm a big binge guy, so I go through waves of a certain type of vibe I'm watching at that moment. Like The whole last week, I've been doing like rom-coms for no reason. So nothing horror right now, but it's about that time where I'm going to I'm going to go on a deep dive and just and watch some things. So why don't you give me some suggestions to watch? Hell yeah. <laughs> we have been talking about Rob Combs at work. That's what's also funny is he's telling me what he has been watching. I'm like, OK, yeah, that's the good 90s shit. <laughs> Here's another one. Check this one out. 
But, you know, that's kind of one of those things. I, I get into the same groove where it's like, all right, what am I watching right now? Italian horror. And then I just get sucked into, okay, what's nine other Italian horror movies right. I haven't seen yet? Let me keep going on that same streak for a while. Cool. Well, uh, Derek, what have you got? So let's start with the video game. I promised our listeners, I promised you, Aaron, kind of like what you just said, Dash. I've been on this tear since Tubi is such a good streaming service for like the most off the wall like horror shit. Yeah, love I've it. been going on this tear of watching underrated or overlooked or like not well known slasher movies from the 80s and 70s and just other horror movies. I'm still doing that. So I've only been recommending horror movies, and I'm usually the one that recommends everything else but horror movies. But since I have two kids now, like I only really have time to watch movies a lot. So I promised I would do something different. So I am going to talk about a video game. It is not rated as a horror game per se, but I would make an argument that there's a lot of horror in it. And that is Cyberpunk 2077. In 2077, they voted my city the worst place to live in America. Main issues, sky-high rate of violence, and more people living below the poverty line than anywhere else. Can't deny it, it's all true. But everybody still wants to live here. This city's always got a promise for you. Might be a lie, an illusion, but it's there. Just around the corner. You going. It's a city of dreams. And I'm a big dreamer. What? Get out of here with that. I mean, body horror, I guess, technically, maybe. Yeah, no, give me a chance. So <laughs> I've put over 80 hours in this game. I finally beat it. I played through two of the endings. And I think I'm finally ready to put it to bed and move on to a new game. It's a game I've been playing for months now, just an hour or two here and there. And by months now, you mean you keep having to take breaks of three or four months because they keep having to patch things so that your fucking car doesn't float to the ground? (laughs) Okay, asshole. So it was released very buggy. It was rushed out. And that was even after like accusations of crunch and everything. But I have to hand it to the developers, CD Projekt Red. They stuck with the game, and they have finally patched it to a point where it's what it, it was intended to be originally. They finally put out the DLC, and it, it feels like a true expansion that increases the game by 20 or 30 hours. It's not just one of those throwaway, like, here's an extra mission. They have put in so much extra content through the patches over the years. 2.0 was the last big patch, and they're now ready to move on. So the game is complete. It's not really buggy at all. I didn't run in any bugs. It feels so much more alive. This feels like the game they truly intended to release initially. I highly recommend it now. And if you are going to play it now, get the DLC because the DLC unlocks pretty early on in the game and it gives you access to all the bonus content outside of the DLC zone as well. I think last time I looked at it, there's an ultimate edition that's out now. Yeah. That's the same fucking price or cheaper than what the game originally yeah. was so yeah so if you're interested get that so for those of you who don't know what cyberpunk is it's based off of a uh tabletop game called cyberpunk that was developed by michael allen pondsmith and he's kind of pretty relevant to today's episode actually himself because he is one of those pioneers of having inclusion in gaming in the gaming world specifically tabletop gaming he was just recently back in 2020 presented with the Jerry Lawson Lifetime Achievement Award at the 4th Annual Black and Gaming Awards. He has always just been 
a good example of including everyone in this. And I think Cyberpunk is the second most successful or third most successful tabletop game behind D&D and maybe Vampires the Masquerade. But he's also developed a bunch of other tabletop games. He has gotten a lot of awards and recognition for his work in tabletop gaming. He's the one who developed Cyberpunk, etc. So it's based off of his tabletop game. And you play a mercenary named V. At some point, you run a job, things go sideways, and a cybernetic biochip containing an engram of legendary rock star and terrorist Johnny Silverhand, which is voiced and portrayed by Keanu Reeves. That Yes, that Keanu Reeves. Basically starts eating away at V's consciousness and overriding their own consciousness. The engram of Johnny Silverhand doesn't want that to happen either. But they are on a time clock. V is basically going to die within a certain amount of weeks and have their consciousness completely overwritten by Johnny, who, again, was a legendary rock star terrorist from decades ago. So already off the bat, you're dealing with themes of losing your own identity, but very reminiscent to Alzheimer's. You don't even know when you are losing parts of yourself and where does V begin and Johnny end. And that starts to blur as you go through the game. So you're already dealing with that. It has all the classic cyberpunk horror tropes. And I feel like a lot of cyberpunk, when you watch Ghost in the Shell or Blade Runner, flirts with horror a lot. I think just cyberpunk being in such a naturally dark dystopian genre of a universe it's always playing with that idea of body horror and replacing your meat with chrome and do you retain a soul if you become a complete cyborg cyberpunk certainly flirts with a lot of those themes too maybe not as esoteric and deep as a ghost in the shell but it still flirts with that idea a lot especially through side missions and everything why i argue that this is definitely a game horror people should check out is again A lot of the stuff you see in this game is treating the human body itself, the flesh we inhabit, the meat, the organs, as just that. It's just meat. Actually, a lot of people in society hate their own meat. They want to get it replaced with all this either combat upgrades or like they want to replace their skeleton with an exoskeleton so they're stronger. People are out living way past when they should. You actually meet up with some of Johnny Silverhand's old crew and this is 50 plus years later and even though they're like 90 to 100 years old they look like they're in their 40s some examples of the gangs you run to are like maelstrom maelstrom are trying to basically turn themselves into full cyborgs usually starting with their own faces so you like run into them instead of having eyes their whole face is caved in over their mouth and it's all these red cyborg eyes in place and you see all the meat there and it's all been cut out So it's this cross between a robot Terminator and just flesh. I'm getting the vibe of the Jamie Lee Curtis movie Virus from the 90s. Virus, yeah. They're very virus. They're very virus-esque. Also, you run into a gang called the Voodoo Boys, which you actually encounter in the main quest line. And the Voodoo Boys, they basically took the ideas of voodoo, hudan, Afro-Caribbean style of mysticism and have turned it into using it with cyberspace. And their main goal is to cross the black wall. And the black wall is this cyberspace protecting all of the net from all rogue AIs and AIs that are beyond the black wall are chaotic and no one really knows what's beyond the black wall. People think it might even be like the cyberpunk version of hell. What? (laughs) Yeah, they want to cross beyond the black wall because they think salvation is beyond the black wall if they become one with all these rogue AIs and all the chaos that's beyond the net. So they're kind of the closest to like the ghost in the shell 
And plus, again, they bring in a lot of voodoo hudon into their rituals. Okay, so, so far, what I'm getting is this is a cyberpunk world where the character you play has a chip in their head. Keanu Reeves plays, once again, a character named Johnny. Yep. And it's all on a ticking time clock. There is a weird religious techno cult, and uh, we're trying to, like, dot, 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 free the human race. So how much money do they actually have to pump at the dude who wrote Johnny Mnemonic to clear the storyline for this movie? Does it have a psychic dolphin in it, at least? No, it doesn't have a psychic <laughs> dolphin. And, and actually, that's not the main goal is for the human race. The main goal is V is trying to survive. That's the main goal. But they're caught up in all these webs and conspiracies because you have the corporations, which are basically just the idea of cyberpunk corporations. You know, they rule the world. Instead of getting fired from them, you disappear. They just straight up execute you. The Militech is like the privatized police, and they just slaughter people indiscriminately if they think they're guilty on the streets. The first mission you run, which is kind of almost a tutorial mission, you and a buddy of yours named Jackie are saving a woman from a group called the Scavengers. And they're possibly the most fucked up of the gangs because they all look like doctors and almost normal people. They don't look like Maelstrom. They don't look tricked out like they're Borgs. Let me guess. Organ harvesting. Yeah. <laughs> they actually are the opposite of organ harvesting. They want all the tech that are inside people, all the cyberware. Uh. So they'll kidnap people and then forcibly harvest their cyberware. But they're very blunt with it and very gruesome with it. So when you go into their hideouts, there's just body parts and shit everywhere. And they're more worried about the actual tech that's inside people. And you encounter them quite a lot throughout the game. And they're almost always enemies. I don't think you ever even talk to them. They're just there. There's whole side missions dealing with cyber psychosis, which is this idea of uh, cyberware causing people to basically go insane and start mass killing on the spot. And no one really knows what causes cyber psychosis. So you're like working with a journalist to try and figure out what causes this. And you encounter like 12 different cyber psychos. Each one is different, but they're all fucked up. And a lot of them are treated like horror sections. You think you're hunting them, but it turns into them hunting you. One of them was straight up a ritual gone wrong. Like they tried to do a techno-organic ritual bloodbath thing. And you have to fight the cyber psycho who looks like Bloody Mary, basically. Sure. Hell yeah. There's another side mission dealing with a serial killer. Think Jeffrey Dahmer, but way on steroids and using cyberpunk equivalents of harvesting machines and milking machines and i'll leave it at that i would some say more it's a dangerous individual right there <laughs> yeah and actually the most disturbing line of quest for me was one where you eventually start recreating the passion of christ basically and i'll leave it at that i don't want to spoil that one for those who, who sure. encounter that mission. yeah it gets pretty fucking dark mel gibson would be proud absolutely yeah and then the last thing i'll say with an argument for it being a, a solid horror adjacent game is you also counter this thing called brain dances and brain dances are you put something in over your head and you relive the experience of, of someone else's memory but you do it from their perspective but you can also edit and like look around their memory okay so this is just strange days then yeah gotcha but there's a black market for them where people pay for basically the faces of death version so this is just strange days then okay yeah where you get to live the experience of either dying or murdering somebody else kind of setup. So 
just a lot of dread, a lot of horrific shit, just walking around the world. On one hand, it's beautiful from like, if you dig the cyberpunk aesthetic, it's all there. But then on the other hand, oops, you wandered into a building and now there are body parts everywhere. Turns out you're in a scavenger's den and they want to harvest your cyberware now and they attack you. There's a lot of fucked up stuff to this game, too, that uh, I think warrants it being played by horror fans and really gamers in general. Go play Cyberpunk. They completely fix the game. It's so much better than what it was. It's so good. I'm going to miss playing this game so much. Sure. It's on my list of stuff that I want to play. I do hate, though, anytime we have to give something the qualifier like, trust us, it's actually really good now. They fixed all the problems. Because <laughs> yeah, we say the same thing know. with movies, too, where it's like, oh, trust me, just watch the director's cut. Watch the restored version. It's a lot better. I will argue, though, that games, we see it more now because it's now come over into console gaming. But gaming has always had patches and expansions. Mostly, it's been on the computer side. Well, games are also so much more complicated yeah. now than they ever were. You know, they just keep getting more and more complicated. So, yeah, they just require yeah. constant fixing. Yeah, that's why I hated the fucking idea of the Snyder Cut completely. And I get that. I get that argument. I get the suspicion and the hesitance. But I think, with especially this game, this is one of those few stories where, no, they actually did work their asses off to fix sure. their problems. Yeah, like I said, it's on the, the list of stuff I want to play. I just know I saw a lot of videos of I know <laughs> people's weapons falling through their hands and cars clipping through the street and just falling into, like, the abyss of underneath the entire map, just constant weird shit like that. So Yeah. The only thing I can think of off the top of my head over the 80 plus hours I played it, there was one time where the game crashed on me. Sure. And that was it. I don't recall any other major bugs or anything. Well, I'll have to check it out. Yeah, kind of like Alien Isolation. This is one I'm going to push you to play because I think you will dig a lot of the aesthetic of this game. But yeah, I loved it. I'm going to miss playing it. And there's a lot of horrific shit in it, so just go check it out. Anyone who knows cyberpunk, the genre, there's always horrific shit in cyberpunk. Sure. So I took up a lot of time with that. I will only keep it to one movie. And I'm sure it's a movie... Well, I know it's a movie, Aaron, you've watched. I'm sure you've seen it too, Dash. I want to have my chance to talk about it because, Aaron, you and Nate had plenty of time to talk about it on our recent Patreon. Okay. And I wanted to also talk about it, and I'm a little jealous I got to miss out on having a conversation. Again, check out our Patreon. The most recent episode was Horniest Horror Movies, only $5 a month. Patreon.com slash watch if dare. Anyway, the movie I want to talk about is 1995's Motherfucking Species. In January, a message from an extraterrestrial source was picked up at the Parks Observatory in Australia. A new sequence of DNA, friendly instructions on how to combine it with ours. This growth is amazing. The decision was made to terminate the experiment. Breaking out! She escaped. We have a serious emergency on our hands. I want a team to track her. Hunt her down. You created a monster, now you want us to kill it. We decided to make it female so that it would be more docile <laughs> and controlled. More docile and controlled. I guess you guys don't get out much. She wants to have a baby. She'll kill anyone that gets in her way. I wouldn't hurt you. Yes, you would. I just don't know it yet. She can have a dozen babies. She can lay a thousand eggs. Something's wrong. Oh! 
<laughs> I forgot you told me you just watched this for the first time. Okay, yeah. I saw it maybe, I don't know, 10 plus years ago. Oh, man, you, you should go back and watch it. It is such an example of the argument I make for like Brendan Fraser's The Mummy or um, Event Horizon. They just don't make movies like this anymore. And I kind of hate that they don't. <laughs> Granted, this is not a perfect movie by any sense of the word. It has very problematic elements throughout it. Fucking Forrest Whitaker plays an empath, which first off, an empath just means you feel others' emotions. It doesn't mean you're a goddamn telepath psychic who like yeah. could tell what happens in any room you walk in. Are you going to tell Forrest Whitaker that? Yeah, I know. Aaron, <laughs> you and Nate brought up a good point. It is a little bit of that trope of just magical black man. It is. It kind of absolutely is. It's just like a Forrest Whitaker has the shining in this movie, I guess. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Because no other character in the movie nothing else in that movie that hints at anybody else having powers question mark no no it's just such a weird inclusion in that movie but whatever alfred molina gets killed in a fucking hot tub and yeah <laughs> there's sexy alien babe i don't know it just has everything that you need out of a good 90s trash movie the cast is wild it's ben kingsley michael madsen alfred molina forrest whitaker marge helgenberger was this natasha henstridge's breakout role basically it was definitely her breakout role i don't think it was her first role but this was kind of what made her an it girl for a brief moment yeah yeah so for those of you who don't know what this is natasha Hendridge plays a human extraterrestrial hybrid named sill who basically spends the movie trying to successfully mate with a human male and conceive an offspring yes you heard that correctly <laughs> The movie starts off with the real world SETI program and, and the SETI program is that program where we're like blasting radio waves into space and sending out transmissions to see if we hear anything back. In the world of this movie, they did hear something back. And I love the way Ben Kingsley like says this. There were two distinct communications. First message turned out to be a superior catalyst for methane. We now have the potential to produce an infinite amount of energy from this clean burning fuel. We're just going to breeze over that. The second message turned out to be a new sequence of DNA with a rather friendly instructions on how to combine it with ours. Here's some technical data on the whole operation. You can get feedback on it from Dr. Baker here. And we decided what we're going to do is we're going to splice their DNA with 100 human embryos. Only one of them survived the process, and that's Sill. Besides the whole Forrest Whitaker thing, I think another reason this movie is 90s trash problematic in some ways is that it's treated like Syl is otherwise an innocent girl. Like she was never asked to be born. She was never asked to be made into this human hybrid. They open the movie trying to kill her as a little girl. She's still a little girl form. They try and kill her because they think she's starting to manifest aggressive behaviors. She, of course, breaks out and goes on the run. And the first few people she kills, it's totally on accident. The first guy tries to, I think, molest her. She kills him and then she cocoons herself and she's horrified as it's happening. Like she doesn't know what's happening to her. And then when she cocoons herself, she comes out as sexy lady, completely naked. I need a fuck now. You mean that that didn't happen to you? Yeah, I know, right? You didn't build a cocoon in the corner of your room one day and you just went from being timid little boy to just grown man, chest hair and all just... I know, right? Running around trying to, like, hump everything you can, yeah. I became Sean Connery. Oh, I mean, I'll be honest. When I was 14, I just woke up with a beard one day, full beard. So, <laughs> I mean, I got to get that. Yeah. Same here, actually. Yeah. The thing that struck me, which I don't think you guys touched on at all, 
was the fact that like how old actually is Syl? Because if we're going off of the fact that she's still half human, does this mean that this is a little girl now in an adult woman's body? Because she all is still acting very childlike when she's wandering sure. around the world. She sees people like walking on the street with infants and like a pregnant woman, and she just in her head suddenly thinks, "Oh, I need a fuck now." Where I think this movie is most interesting is when she's seducing men. She isn't necessarily aggressive in the way that like a slasher, she's trying to kill whoever she can. It's really only people who either get in her way or try and harm her, and she's defending herself. Because when she tries to have sex with that first guy, but then she senses that he has diabetes, she repeatedly asks him, take me home or like drop me back up at the club. And then when he tries to force himself on her, that's when she kills sure. her. Well, like Tyler said, I mean, you do definitely start to sympathize with her and take her side and, you know, definitely like, okay, yeah, Syl's correct and everything she's doing in this movie. Yeah. You don't have that that often with other horror movie, like, slasher characters where you're like, oh, yeah, no, I totally am down with what Freddy Krueger's doing in this movie. Yeah, at the very beginning of the movie, I was kind of on her side when, again, she was like a scared little girl who didn't ask to be in this position, and they're trying to poison her to death. I get why she would become what she is. So I found that interesting, like her trying to mate and then things about men like, say, diabetes rules out them as the perfect mate. And then she winds up fucking Dr. Octopus from uh, Spider-Man <laughs> 2. So you better respect Alfred Molina. Okay. <laughs> respect him. Yeah, Alfred He's Molina. A good man. And then, of course, from there, when they go into the sewers, it becomes full blown 90s version. What if we had a xenomorph, but we turn the xenomorph into co- sort of a sexy lady still? Well, it's funny you say that because you know who designed Giger. the Sil yeah. Alien is fucking H.R. Giger, yeah. Yeah, who also designed the Xenomorph. Oh, yeah. If I wanted the original Xenomorph to, like, have actual alien tits, here we go. Now's my yeah. chance to do it. I kind of am bummed I didn't watch this movie as a teenager getting it from Blockbuster or something because this would have been definitely a sexual awakening movie because she (laughs) like I'm sitting on this high horse of like judging the problematic elements now. But let's be real. If I watch this when I was 13, 14 and Natasha Henstridge was walking through half this movie like completely butt ass naked and you see Bush and tits and ass yeah i would probably be rewinding a lot of parts of this movie shout out to uh scream factory's <laughs> recent 4k remaster of this movie by the way yeah this is one of those just trash movies i think i'll always go to bad for <laughs> like that's the thing yeah. it has its issues it is a little problematic it's a fucking mess some of the casting choices are like wild oh my god that dialogue where they're just like of course los angeles is perfect for her it's city of the future Anything goes. Totally mobile population, everyone's a stranger. Very little in this town is taboo or unacceptable. Whatever she does, no one's going to notice. You're up? Well, whatever. So, Los Angeles is where the battle's going to be fought. And one. Again, kind of alluding that Los Angeles is now Night City and Cyberpunk. Oh my God. It's a lawless land where you can just fuck on the streets and it's totally fine. I think my wild take on it is... If there's any horror franchise that honestly needs to be rebooted, especially from that era, Species is kind of on the top of that list because, oh yeah, hey, we need more creature alien shit. We need more of that. Absolutely. Also, you know, let's literally make that woke mind virus a thing and weaponize it in a fun way and just make this movie flip all the icky, slightly problematic especially like the sexual politics of it 
and just weaponize all that shit to the nth degree. Let's have a fucking I don't I don't know what do they ever call the fucking aliens in that series? Just let's have a species alien that's like sexy dude, and let's explore that whole angle of. But you know, I see men being terrible and toxic and like doing bad things. Well, is that the way that I need to do this? Is it not the way I need to do this? Have some queer alien shit there and change up how the reproductive drive works and that kind of stuff. I don't know. Like Paul Mescal, I have a role for you. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Right. (laughs) Play around with the idea of, oh, shit. What if this alien is capable of getting a man pregnant? Throw around wild shit like that and play around with the concept in a way that a lets you really get into some territory that's kind of pushing boundaries for a lot of people but b also flip around a lot of the shit from the original movie that is kind of tired tropes at this point really just go full trash with it i'm down make a giant messy species reboot that just goes in all directions I'm fucking down for that. Yeah, we need more garbage with a budget for sure. I yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Not just yeah. the Tubi stuff. We need stuff that is financially backed. That is not great, but great at the same time. Yeah. We need like the A24 neon version of species. Please. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> on that note, I forget if you mentioned this or not, Aaron, on the Patreon. Was everything done practically like when Syl went full monster mode? Was that all practical? No, it's like an interesting half and half. So there is a lot of practical makeup and full body suits and animatronics. But this was also like right at the time where there was like a lot of very early sketchy CGI. T2 was a massive, huge CGI milestone. And then two years later, we had Jurassic Park. And two years later, we have Species. Spawn. Spawn (laughs) as well, yes. And and that's a good example of another delightful trash 90s I love, by the way. Yes. Fantastic. Spawn. But not every studio has the fucking money to do Jurassic Park, to do Terminator 2. Yeah. So you end up with something like Species, where like... There's that early CGI that's really sketchy and, oh, God, this is bad. But it's wild that we look back at stuff like that now, and it's kind of quaint and charming. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Like, Because same with Event Horizon. There was some sketchy yeah. CGI in that, but I dug There's it. Some super goofy CGI in that, but you're way more forgiving of it because, A, you've seen shit that looks that bad now in 2024 still. But also, there's enough practical effects where you really kind of are like, all right, y'all use CGI where you had to use CGI. Yeah. You didn't just use it as a complete crutch for everything. There was one scene where I thought it was maybe a little sketchy. And again, it was an endearing sketchy because it's 90 CGI. It was one she cocoons herself because it's all the tentacles coming out of her and wrapping around her into the cocoon. And all that was obvious CGI. But that was really one of the only scenes I could think of that was egregious about it. The main thing I remember was just anytime her face would morph slightly. Yeah, yeah. That, that was the kind of shit that I saw and I was like, okay, what is this lost in space blarp bullshit? <laughs> but again, it holds up well in a weird nostalgic kind of way. I felt nostalgic for a movie I actually never sat down and watched after I watched it. <laughs> like, I used to love this movie. <laughs> yeah, like, again, I would have fucking loved the shit out of this movie as a teenager in the same way I loved Event Horizon and uh, The Mummy. Yeah. The other reason why I think this movie needs a revamp treatment is none of the sequels to this movie are any good. That's what I've heard, yeah. Even a lot of the other franchises that 
we like maybe the first movie of, there's at least usually one good sequel in there somewhere. I think that's a lot of why people like have such a hard time with 90s horror and say like, oh, 90s horror is fucking trash because you didn't have the sequels that you had in the 80s. In the 80s, you definitely had fucking Nightmare on Elm Street 3 is the fan favorite for most people. Friday the 13th Part 4 is the fan favorite for most people. You didn't have that shit in the 90s. What Wishmaster sequel is any good? (laughs) What Candyman sequel is any good? I'm not talking about, like, the remake. I'm talking about, like, the original, like, two and three, right? What fucking Child's Play sequels were any good up to Bride, at least, right? Hey, don't talk shit about two and three. Two, I love the factory sequence. Two is fucking fun. Three is boring. (laughs) But, yeah, like, the 90s just had a lot of bad sequels, and Species is kind of the same way. We're like, there's five fucking Species sequels, and none of them are good. And I don't think any of them went to theaters at all. I think they were all direct to video. The second one was the only one that went to theaters. It was? Okay. Yeah. yeah I, I don't remember any of those being any fucking good. And I think even by the third one, it was very like sci-fi channel movie of the week kind of oh, shit. And if I remember correctly, two bombed because the first movie made well over $110 million. The second movie, I don't even know if it made $20 million. Jeez, in the box office. The drop-off was insane. Well, I think that it's still maybe a f- franchise that should be revisited and get real fucking weird and wild with it, because why not? What have you got to fucking lose? Who cares? It's species, right? And while I talk shit about the Force Whitaker empath thing, while I think Michael Madsen is kind of miscast in this movie, while I think Ben Kingsley makes choices in his fucking <laughs> <laughs> role is is Fitch or whatever his name is, which I couldn't tell what the fuck he was an actually expert of, by the way, because he was asking everybody else for all their opinions. I also still am endeared with like how ridiculous their performances are too at the same oh, time. Sure. Like, yeah. They're like, let's just have fun. Yeah, the Forrest Whitaker character is problematic, but this is kind of fucking nuts, so I kind of deal He's with it. He's going for it, for sure, in that movie. Yeah, I kind of dig it in a way, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. Cool. Well, uh, I've got one movie to talk about. It's a new movie. It is currently on Shudder. That is Destroy All Neighbors. Uh, this is directed by Josh Forbes, written by Mike Benner, Jared Logan, and Charles A. Piper. What's going on? I think we have a new neighbor. What is up with this guy? <laughs> I think we're living next to some kind of maniac. I am now living your head. Flash is just driving me crazy. You're headed into chaos. What? Blood will be spilt. You gotta stand on your own two feet and say, Get out of my kitchen! Because I'm cooking! (laughs) William, use your demons. Don't let them use you. So you've killed somebody. Relax. Just need to know how to get rid of a body. Hello, Willie. I'm not a mass murderer. I'm a mass manslaughterer. It's time to make a hit record. I'm alive. Shut up. You didn't hear that, did you? You yelling shut up at nobody? Yeah, I heard it was very loud. That is not what rock and roll is all about. Let's rock! You're a loser, and you're gonna die a loser. Now that was rock and roll. Stop. Just be cool. And don't murder anyone else. 
this is a horror comedy about a guy who is a musician who is living in LA with his girlfriend, fiance, question mark. He lives in an apartment complex with the worst fucking crew of neighbors you can imagine. They do weird shit that keeps him up all night. They make noises. They constantly bug him about things. There's a guy who is just named Pigman who owns a pig, and that's why they call him Pigman. The pig is constantly getting out. But yeah, the, the main guy is Jonah Ray. This whole story honestly reminded me a lot of our friend Lamplew, uh, Zach Lamplew that's been on previously, who moved to L.A., lived in an apartment similar to this, and you know, was working as an editor. And when we visited him, he was just like, man, fuck this apartment, fuck my neighbors, I hate living here. So it's basically him trying to work. He's trying to finish his prog rock album, which is another great aspect of this, that he's obsessed with prog rock. Things start to go fucking weird from there because all of his neighbors start to, like, die in these weird accidental ways that he is causing. But then they're not dying, so you've got all these kind of undead neighbors following him as he's trying to, like, evade the police and explain things to his girlfriend and explain things to his boss and figure out how to, like, finish his prog rock album. I love that that's an element of the plot. (laughs) Oh, it's a major element of the plot, and especially for, like, how the movie ends, it's pretty fucking great, but... This has super fucking fun practical effects in it. Lots of puppet work. And I'm talking like gross puppet work. Like the kind of shit that you see on your pretty face is going to hell. Stuff like that where it's just really gross creaturey stuff. The way that all the neighbors are killed kind of plays in in a Beetlejuice kind of way. Where like one person electrocutes themselves to the point where they just become a fucking charcoal skeleton. Well, guess what? That charcoal skeleton is still like running around causing chaos easily like the most bug nuts shit is alex winter aka fucking bill from bill and ted is in this movie as a character named vlad who is giant fucking concrete cinder block face mustached eastern european guy with giant fucking hairy fake arms And he's just blasting EDM at four in the morning and (laughs) screaming and lifting weights. And it's fucking hilarious because he's just the most fucking obnoxious character. Everybody has had some kind of neighbor like this before who just will not listen to reason when you tell him, hey, it's four in the fucking morning. Turn this EDM off. Stop punching the walls. (laughs) And of course, he like gets dismembered. And so it's just, you know, his arms and his guts. His intestines are literally kind of wrapped around shit like tentacles and like moving his corpse around. It's super fucking ridiculous and charming and a lot of fun. And it's one of those that has an insanely fun ending, but then also like splashes cold water on you at the same time in a way that's kind of satisfying and actually works. So yeah, I had a lot of fun with it. There's a lot of weird cameos from people like Kumail Nanjiani and Thomas Lennon from Reno 911. It's definitely fun. Jonah Ray's really good in it. He was obviously the new most recent host for Mystery Science Theater when they did the reboot. And he's done a lot of TV appearances and sketch comedy stuff and a lot of podcasting. But I don't think I've seen him in a lead role in a movie before. He's really fucking good in this. I dug him a lot. 
his girlfriend in the movie, Kieran Diol, is also really funny, really fucking good in the movie. It's always nice to like watch smaller indie horror stuff like this and see people that you've never seen before. Just see new faces, and they're good. And then you hope that you see them show up in other stuff later. So yeah, I had a lot of fun with this one. Again, it's streaming on Shutter right now. It's Destroy All Neighbors. Cool. Let's do it. Let's talk us. There's a family in our driveway. It's probably the neighbors. But y'all scared of a family? Hi, can I help you? Zora, put your shoes on. If you want to get crazy, we can get crazy. Exactly like us. They think like us. They know where we are. We need to move and keep moving. They won't stop until they kill us. And we kill them. So, as we jump into this movie, as always, it's February. We wanted to highlight a movie that is written, directed, starring black actors, directors, writers, right? Like, we want to showcase something. It's Black History Month. This movie is perfect for that in a variety of ways. Dash, this was your pick. This was not what we were originally planning to do, but this was one that we've had on our list forever. So, this was a great yeah, fuck it, let's do this movie and jump right into it. So what about this movie specifically kind of drew you in? Why did you pick this one? What does this movie do for you? Like, tell us your kind of initial spiel on why this was the movie you want to jump on the show for your first time and cover. Right off the top, very, very surface level. But, you know, maybe some of you are listening in audio, but I am black. So pretty much... You know, anytime there's horror and it, it has any elements of being a black story, I'm I'm pretty much there. To answer directly, kind of have to back it up to Get Out when even just the very first teaser trailer I saw for Get Out, I told Aaron this, but just seeing that one first teaser, I was like, oh my God, I was like, this is going to be the most amazing thing I've ever seen. I was <laughs> like, I've felt this exact feeling in, in situations before, like the thoughts that you don't even hear Kulea's character say I can read his eyes and know the exact thoughts that he's thinking in in those moments in just the teaser trailer so as soon as I even saw that very first teaser trailer I was like Jordan Peele I am here for everything you've got to do you are doing the you know the black experience so with us you know when that first teaser trailer dropped you get the ding and just, it's just like, you know, strung out violin strings, right? The very first notes. 
and then it does it again and you're like hold on a minute i know this song yeah and then it goes again <laughs> this sounds familiar right and it goes again you're like this this is definitely not i got five on it right and then <laughs> and then you find you know you find out it is and you're like oh okay he's cooking right now <laughs> i remember seeing you know when lapita's character is in the car snapping her fingers along to it and you're like that's like off right what does i got five on it mean it's about drugs it's not about drugs it's a dope song don't do drugs get in rhythm there you go there you go <laughs> And like, if you're not black, you you wouldn't get. That's a big thing. Like, you would get clown for that immediately. So you're just like, that's kind of weird. And then you get a little bit more um, in the first teaser. As soon as I saw that, and I was like, oh, and it's Jordan Peele. Like, I'm there. I remember seeing in theaters, and I was just like, this is beautiful. Like, it's just a cool story about a black family who, you know kind of assimilates and you know his best friend's his work buddy and he has a white family and he's like i'm gonna fucking buy a boat to impress his ass and then you know (laughs) and it's literally a fucking dinghy and his friend calls that it's gonna be a dinghy like when they're on the beach before he even sees it like to me it just it hits a lot of notes and a lot of subtleties that not everybody may understand but even if they don't understand that they can appreciate the surface level and even the you know the levels below that there's something for everyone in it honestly Oh, yeah. Kind of on the same lines. Get Out was announced. And I remember a lot of people being like, wait, what? Fucking Jordan Peele from Key and Peele is doing a horror movie? And I remember telling people at the time, like, no, y'all, you haven't watched enough Key and Peele. Yeah, go watch some of those they sketches. They do fucking dark horror shit all the time. <laughs> yeah. And Jordan Peele has repeatedly said, I'm a massive fucking horror fan. I always have been. You know, so that movie came out, was a huge hit. He won a fucking Oscar for the screenplay. It is a very, very tight, well-constructed, not a single fucking line of dialogue is wasted or unnecessary or filler. Everything works. Every piece falls into place. Like, it is a clockwork fucking script. And so there was obviously all this hype around, what is he doing next? What is his next project? Surely he's doing another horror movie. He definitely got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, and we've talked about this a bunch on the show, but how horror movies and horror movie writers and directors generally get dismissed very easily. Either they get brushed off as, oh, it's horror, so it's got to be trash, whatever, it's a worthless genre, it's not important, or people try to like downplay the horror, which was the case with Get Out, where... At the fucking Golden Globes, that movie was literally nominated in the, like, musical comedy category. So stupid, Get the fuck out of here, right? I've also long been saying, like, if we're gonna fucking split things into drama and then comedy musical, that's three genres. (laughs) Uh, where is the fucking action slash sci-fi slash horror slash literally every other genre category too, right? Mm -hmm. But that was like a whole discussion around that time. Like, why are we using the term elevated horror? Because it's smart and it works and it's fucking good, right? What about the movie is elevated beyond the fact that it's a fucking competently made movie? There are all these people trying to like downplay or specifically negate the horror aspect of Get Out. And I remember hearing Peel talk about interviews and shit. I'm going to make sure people understand my next movie is a fucking horror movie. And that's all there is to it. Like, there's not going to be any mistaking. It will be a horror movie. And he made a big deal of that. 
And I remember the marketing for this movie being so mysterious and enigmatic. They announced really, really early, this movie's happening. Here's the cast that's called Us. Here's the first teaser poster. And that was it for a long time. And then the first teaser came out. And it still leaves you really wondering, like, what the fuck am I looking at, right? I remember going to see this and being in a packed fucking auditorium. Because we went maybe the first night, definitely the first weekend. And I remember the buzz, just feeling like the vibes of everybody. Really excited to be there. Excited to see a new horror movie. Excited to see Jordan Peele's new horror movie. It was very good vibes. And I remember afterward people being like a little bit, what did we just watch? What is that? I don't quite understand what I just saw. This wasn't what I was expecting. And that has kind of still remained a little bit of the vibe since then, which has been like, it's fine. It's no get out. Well, yeah, no shit. It's not get out. It's not trying to do the same things as get out. Get out is very much a sniper rifle precise this is what i'm trying to say and do with this don't fucking confuse the message of this movie and there's a lot of layers to it but it's very specific and this is what this movie's about this movie feels more like a shotgun blast largely yes it hits the target occasionally there's little bits that stray off and kind of go off to the sides but largely it still works for what it's trying to do i think what's more evident is Holy shit, the level of filmmaking, like on a technical level, that you could see from Get Out to Us that Jordan Peele made. Such a huge fucking leap in terms of him being a really serious A-plus director entirely from the beginning evident. Like, I remember watching just the opening scene of this movie, literally on the edge of my seat, just smiling like fucking Jack Nicholson and being like, oh shit, he's doing it. <laughs> this is going to be fucking awesome. He's doing the shit right now. I think when the first major trailer dropped, you sent me a gif of Andy Samberg from Jizz in My Pants. Like, uh-huh, <laughs> right? <laughs> and immediately, like, I was so fucking high on this movie. I was just convinced in my head, like, yo, people are going to be dressing up like the Tethered for Halloween every year. The iconography in this movie is so fucking strong with the rabbits and the scissors and the jumpsuits. All of that is just going to become staple for the next few years. And I'm still kind of surprised that it's not as strong. And I think it was just one of those things where people went in with different expectations from what he brought. And what he brought was the movie that he wanted to make. You know, it's not like he owed anybody anything, right? But I think it was one of the things where, like, a lot of people. Again, try to dismiss this movie as just kind of being this toss-away thing because, oh, well, it didn't have a message, in air quotes, like Get Out had. I mean, yeah, it does. It's just not as underlined in the same way. But I think the cast of this movie is fucking amazing. The score of this movie is great. This movie looks great. This is one of my absolute favorite modern horror movies. You know, nope, I would definitely still throw into, like, the sci-fi horror adventure category, very much in the same way that like Jaws. Totally, those movies have a lot in common. And I think that movie also has a similar massive leap in his filmmaking skills in the same way. But people met that movie also with a little bit of, I'm not sure what this movie's trying to say. And I heard a lot of professional critics when Nope came out that were like, we're not sure what he's trying to say with this movie. 
And I don't think it's that complex. I think you just need to be like looking at the movie for what it is and kind of tuned into that a little bit. And it seems pretty straightforward and clear to me, at least. But yeah, I fucking love this movie. I had a great theatrical experience seeing this. It's a movie that Heather and I have watched at least every year since it came out. And I don't know, generally speaking, I don't get the hate for this movie. I think it's pretty fucking perfect for a modern horror movie. I have seen way, 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 way worse from a lot bigger people who are like more established in the genre, who had a lot more resources to work with. So I don't know. I feel like it's pretty tough to like beat something like this movie. So I talked a lot, Derek. This is your first time watching it. So like Mm -hmm. after years of hearing about this movie and jumping into it now, a couple of years later, like what are your thoughts now that you have seen it? So I told you I had strong feelings after I watched this movie and get out when we did that. That was my first time watching get out, get out floored me. And that's what five years after the fact when we did that episode five or six, but I, I knew the zeitgeist surrounding that movie already so i had high expectations i think majority of people agree it's a good movie but there's more people being like it wasn't get out or i don't get it this is kind of disappointing after get out so my initial thought as someone who sat down and watched it for the very first time i like this movie more than get out i think this is a more entertaining movie i think this is more of a capital h horror movie than Get Out was, and I think Get Out is also a horror movie. I think Get Out does flirt a little bit more with maybe comedic elements, but there's still some comedic elements in Us as well. I laugh oh, at, yeah. at, at quite a few lines. Fucking Tim Heidecker's in this movie. Right. Yeah. Yeah, t- I feel like, but I also feel like a lot of horror movies, you know, they're going to have comedy in it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. One of the big things I love that Peel says is, you know, what's the difference between a horror movie and a comedy? And it's like, he's like the soundtrack. Yeah, I mean, if you think about yeah. it, honestly, it's pretty accurate, you know? Yeah. I mean, if you go back and watch that fucking 90s movie Clifford where he's playing like a little kid, but it's clearly he's not a little kid, that movie could be interpreted as a horror movie if you watch it now, like a psychological horror movie. I rewatched that a couple months ago. You could <laughs> so easily just tweak a couple of the soundtrack in it, and it would be a, a fantastic horror movie. It totally is a horror movie. But- go to dinosaur land. <laughs> yeah. Aaron and I have talked about that repeatedly, like comedy and horror are side by side and as far as genres go. So because I've been thinking about this for the last couple of days, I watched this maybe three or four days ago. I think my final thesis I landed on is that while Get Out from capital C cinema history standpoint might be the more important, better movie and like academically, if we even want to go that route, I personally like us more. I think it's more entertaining. I think it's more horrific i enjoy the layered upon layer of shit that's happening in this movie and just how much world building there is but not telling you everything and leaving a lot of interpretation up to the audience especially how the tethered what they actually are how they even existed i love all that all the weirdness of the world building is what i really respond to in Mm -hmm. this one because get out feels like a Twilight Zone episode, which, you know, Twilight Zone very much influences Peel in everything he does. He's said many times, like, I, I go back to the show constantly. But there's so much weird, idiosyncratic, specific stuff in us. 
it feels very unique in that way. We've seen tons of doppelganger movies. There's been a lot of those, right? But none that are but like nothing this like specifically this. weird. Yeah. In all the best kind of ways, right? Like there's just very specific decisions that make this movie fun and unique and have that character. And there's still so much he's alluding to and paying homage to. I mean, that whole fucking scene in the house just felt like it was straight out of the strangers, especially when they have them yeah. on the couch. Funny games. Funny games as well, yeah. But then you have just the origin of the doppelgangers, uh, which we're not spoiling anything. That's the crux of the horror in this movie is it's doppelgangers. But their origin and how they came to be and what they actually are, which is still a mystery even after you watch the whole movie, which I think on a lot of casual viewers, I think maybe frustrated them because they wanted a handheld explanation for everything. Sure. And this movie has no interest in doing that. It explains enough, but leaves a lot open for your own interpretation. I think that's on purpose. And I think this movie is very minor, but I think it is more of a mess than Get Out was. But I think he's swinging for the fences so much more with us than he was with Get Out. Kind of going back to something that both you guys touched on, the, the enigma that surrounded this movie and even surrounded it for me even though it's been out for years now, with me going into watching it, just looking even at the theatrical release poster, you just see that face and she's like moving the mask of her own face off and there's a tear coming down her eye and you don't really see anything else because it's behind blackness. is fucking haunting, but you have no idea what you're in for when you're going into it. It's just enough of a mystery that it interests you and entices you, but you have no idea what the fuck you're about to get into. I don't know. I just... This movie hit on so many levels for me in a way that it is one of the best modern horror movies I've seen in a while. I've been thinking about it even more than I did with Get Out, and I think Get Out is a masterpiece. For horror newbies, I think it's about the same level of actual horror as maybe Get Out, but I think the horror in Us is creepier and more dreadful, at least for me, than it was in Get Out. And just the concept of a doppelganger, which we've seen portrayed even in Twin Peaks, and it's creepy in Twin Peaks. It's creepy in the Mirror Mirror episode of Twilight Zone, which, not Mirror Mirror, Mirror Image, which is what Jordan Peele has said kind of inspired us, which I've seen that episode. You still have not seen Denis Villeneuve's Enemy, right? No, I still haven't seen that. Dash, have you seen that one? I have not. It's added to the queue as you speak. Okay. That's some good shit if we're talking like doppelgangers and very weird idiosyncratic choices. Yeah. But the idea that you're kind of facing yourself, but yourself wants to kill you and take your place. The concept of doppelgangers, I think, is in back in, don't quote me on this, but maybe Judaism has dealt with doppelgangers. Probably so. I mean, I, I feel like every major religion has religion and culture has had a history of doppelgangers being part of that. Yeah, like know, lore and everything either as an evil spirit or a straight up demon. So you have that primeval fear that's kind of ingrained in our subconsciousness and belief system through history. And then just the idea of the mirror image, but the mirror image is your shadow I mean, if we want to get all persona, the video game about it, like the idea of the shadow self. There's a tweet that I remember floating around from a while back that was talking about the Uncanny Valley and like the concept of the Uncanny Valley, and like how we choose to explain that concept and how that innate fear in all of us where we see something that is passing as human, but is not human. And we know to identify that as not human. The like reality of it is there is at some point 
a like cultural anthropological evolutionary reason why we as like a human species developed that innate fear and it's because at one point in time we had to be able to identify people and not people just that idea is really super fucking creepy yeah it's like that lizard brain exactly (laughs) there's like very much a primordial thing going on like anytime that you deal with doppelgangers and doubles and this movie plays in that so fucking well but then the haunting idea of that plays before the doppelgangers even became evil they were almost these soulless husks that are just doing this weird mirror image imitation of whatever you're doing throughout your entire life and then you feel the horror of what if you were trapped as one of those soulless husks in the underground oh sure there's that also the movie's playing with Again, my favorite line in this entire movie that gave me goosebumps is when Red is talking to the family in the raspy voice explaining what they're going to do. What are you people? We're Americans. I think a lot of the message of the movie is right there in that fucking line. I know I'm jumping ahead, but I know that a couple of years after this movie came out, Jordan Peele himself came out and said this movie is very much dealing with the other side of the coin, like of American privilege specifically, but privilege in society of the upper class just on the other side of the coin is the lower class. And that's kind of what his movie is basically playing with. And that's the main messaging behind his movie, at least that he felt as far as interpretations go and how we, even the one side prospers and the other suffer, we're, we're all still tethered together. So we can never forget to like fight for the less fortunate is what his kind of final say on on it was. But I, I felt that the where Americans line really gives that away. And that's why I think for me, that was like a big crux of the movie for me, a big turning point and what the messaging of the movie is trying to say. And again, I just think this is on a surface level, like you said, Dash, the mystery of the horror behind it makes it so much more menacing to me than Get Out. I recommend it for horror newbies, but I do think this movie is a bit creepier than Get Out is. So just FYI, when you're going into it, if you haven't watched this before. In the same uh, vein of your favorite line being the We're Americans line, very similar, but when um, Adelaide and Red are talking in the end, and, and Red says Adelaide, Years after we met, the miracle happened. That's when I saw God. And he showed me my path. You felt it too. The end of our dance. The tethered saw that I was different. That I would deliver them from this misery. I found my faith. Everything had to be perfect. I didn't just need to kill you. I needed to make a statement that the whole world would see. It's our time now. Our time up there. And to think, if it weren't for you, I never would have danced at all. I mean, that always just like rings in my head. Like that shit is yeah so scary like it's crazy and then red also says you know we don't know the timeline obviously but she was like the husks lost their mind you know when they stopped 
getting, um, you know, attention or whatever the government was trying to do with them. But I would love to just, you know, know how did they get to the point where it's that? Because there's so yeah. many things that they wouldn't have had. Like there's the guy with the T-shirt giving the T-shirt to Adelaide's dad, the thriller shirt. The guy has like pretty much the exact same shirt, just beat up and is handing it to him, his tethered guy. There's just so many like little nuances when you get to that final throwback in the underground that you're like, how did that even like get there? Yeah. You know what I mean? Because all all the people are like a fucked up version dressed the same way as the people above, and they're also doing a zombie weird replication of what's happening above. And so then then you run into and again, this is just one of those things that's left up to interpretation, never actually completely explained. While Red says it was a genetic experiment that was abandoned by the government and that's where they come from. Then how do you explain the children being born at the same exact time and mirroring the children in the real world? How do you explain them having the same clothes? I think then you could get in the argument of when Red is saying like our souls are tethered together, we're one soul separated. You could go that route that she's being literal when she's saying that, Hmm. that in order to become one soul again, you have to die. We have to untether ourselves from you and become one soul i think then you could make that argument like well no she's right the way the people are becoming like that even though they're stuck in this underground facility that you would think would only be the red jumpsuits that they're in later how are they getting these clothes how are they doing the exact same shit at the exact same time that's happening above and the implications of that are also fucking dark Mm -hmm. because then think about any time they were conceiving their children what was happening to Red with the husk version of her husband? Was it non-consensual? What was happening right. in that regard? Well, she kind of alludes to, oh yeah, the girl met her prince, and at the same time, Abraham came to me. Like, I didn't choose him, mm-hmm. but like he just knew yeah. he was meant to be with me, and just now we're together. You know, and it's very much said kind of in this way of, this isn't the life that I wanted, you know, but this is the life that I now have. And it's all thanks to you, you know, like I didn't choose to have these two kids, but I have these two kids now. And it's all because you made a choice, you know, the one where she says she had a C-section and then she says I had to do it on my own. That was another line that sent chills down my spine because, yeah, hey, your boy, when I was in nursing school, I I saw live C-sections. Just if you know what a C-section is about, that's a really fucked up implication. Right. I think it's also a little bit telling too. You know, that moment where she's like, you know, I didn't choose any of these things for myself. They were all things that happened because you did them. And knowing where the ending of this movie goes and knowing that this whole system was put in place in order for the government to, like, keep people in check and keep people controlled in a way, the implications of what she's saying there start to make a little bit more sense in a very interesting way. And it makes you kind of wonder, okay, so then what have things been like for the rest of the tethered? How independent are they to be able to live their lives and do anything? Do they have any kind of control over the ones above and the real world in air quotes? Or is it all kind of tied in that way? You know, I think another thing, too, that as far as like what I don't get about the movie, you know, I'm fine with these questions. I am very much of the like, eh, none of this stuff bugs me. I don't have to know how any of this works or where the like fucking rabbits came from or how they got the scissors and the one Michael Jackson glove. And the bunch of red suits. Yeah, and the red suits, right? You know, that kind of stuff logistically doesn't bother me. I know that that's stuff that people hang on for this movie. They're like, oh, the whole thing's fucking ruined for me because none of that makes sense. 
how would any of that work? Blah, blah, blah. The movie's stupid. By the way, I just took that as they found that because they're in a fucking government facility underground and that was just the dress that that was left there. Probably so. Yeah. That's very fair. But there's specific things. Like, they're all wearing the same type of sandals that young Adelaide was wearing when she got pulled down. They are all wearing, I, I joked about a second ago, the one Michael Jackson glove. Because if you think about where she was when she ended up down there, and her kid brain and her exposure to the world and pop culture. Like, what are things that she knew at that point? Michael Jackson. He wears one glove. Specifically Thriller. Specifically Thriller, yeah. The hands across the world, big giant thing happening. And, like, largely that was kind of a dumb stunt that came and went. But that's the kind of thing that when you see as a kid, you think, like, that's going to be the biggest thing that's ever going to happen <laughs> in the world. And you focus on that. And so, like, that's what that became to her, you know, since that's when she becomes cut off from the rest of society, like that's the thing that looms large in her kid brain. That's all the kind of stuff that like, it doesn't bother me. The like weird, how do you get from a to B stuff about this movie? I just kind of like the fact that it remains this mystery it remains this metaphysical question of don't worry about the logistics, just roll with the concept of this and just kind of let yourself soak in the terror of, Oh shit, what if things happen like this? It's just the best nightmare logic that I love. Yeah, yourself showed up in a tracksuit with kind of fucked up looking features on your face. You're not quite sure. And they want to murder you with scissors. Yeah, that's pretty fucking terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's good shit. I think another thing too, as far as why I'm still kind of confused a little bit about people not getting into this movie in the same way and being confused about what's going on or what the movie's trying to do and say. This movie, as you've discussed, the messaging of it and everything, and I think like what he was trying to kind of work through, which first of all, like I think it's unfair for any director or creative that you get pigeonholed into the like, oh, you're this guy. You're the XYZ gal. You know, Jordan Peele, you are the social commentary horror director so every movie we expect some type of dissection of some other social ill that our society faces and at the same time just let the dude do what he wants to do and if it works it works if it doesn't whatever but i don't like pegging creatives into that this is what we expect of you so just do that or we're not gonna like it and it feels like that's a little bit of what was going on here we're like this movie is just as inherently political, I think, in what it's trying to say as Get Out. It just wasn't, like I said, as precision and underlining about it. You know, again, if we're talking about black experience in America, especially in terms of what Get Out's doing versus what this movie's doing, this movie is much more about class in general. It seems like the kind of thing that more people should have been able to grasp onto that easier. Because Get Out is very specifically a black man's take on the shit he has to deal with on a regular basis. It's been fun talking about that movie with other people I know in my life, black men, black women, like Kelly that was on, you know, for that episode, he talked about some of this with us too, that, yo, you guys won't understand the kind of shit that I have to deal with, that I have dealt with, the situations I've been in that are very similar. Like, there's a lot of very specific stuff going on there. And, you know, Get Out, I feel like, is dealing with a lot of the same types of specific things that, on one hand, the class part of it's easier for people to latch on to, no matter, like, who you are, what your background is, really. But there is still, like, a lot of very specific 
you gotta be black to understand what is really getting to the root of this, or at least like you gotta try and empathize with what that is, even if you don't experience this kind of stuff day to day. I mean, shit, Get Out has Bradley Whitford, who is a professional D-bag character actor, saying the line, I would have voted for Obama a third sure, time. right. <laughs> you know, you have that kind of level of it in Get Out, but Us, I feel, like you said, is, I don't know if nuanced is the right word, it's just, I think Us is more dripping with every shot has shit in it and i think he at one point even said that like everything i've done in us is intentional there's a lot of fucking layers in this movie yes what the characters are wearing what's in the background all of it matters there's so many layers to this movie in ways that are interesting to kind of peel back i feel like us is more rewatchable for that reason you're always going to find a a little detail that you missed yeah the first time yeah there's always new stuff to find i mean there's always Tons of fucking pop culture references and all of his stuff, but that's part of the fun as well, too. Is the Chud VHS in the very beginning, like when it's zooming in. Sure. The TV. And I'm glad that we talked about Chud with James before you saw this movie so that there's a little bit of context there. Cause I remember people being like, I don't understand. What is Chud? What is this? What is this VHS tape? Also alluded to a lot of elements of this movie la- that would happen later on. Well, yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, same thing with yeah. the man with two brains and the right stuff to a degree. But there's definitely like a lot to consider as far as Dash was saying. A family that's assimilated is a good way to put it. Okay, we have reached this level of class, so we expect to be able to like slide into and commingle and be on the same level with these other people. And kind of that weird, crushing disappointment of, oh, they still don't see me as equals. Right. His car is better. His house is better. His boat is better. His wife had work done. Wife had work done. And he specifically makes a point to like keep ribbing Winston Duke about that too. Don't forget the flare gun, you know, your place. Don't forget, you know, I will always have more than you be more than you, etc. There's just that constant weird keeping up with the Joneses nagging, but in a very specific racial way that, you know, America is still dealing with people are still dealing with. You know, there's still like a lot of those kinds of layers to it that I find to be very interesting. The way Tim Heidecker delivers lines and performance, like when he's talking to him, is great because it very much felt like a white neighbor trying to talk to another white neighbor in a weird way, if that makes sense. But yeah. this is not like the time or place to actually do that. Mm-hmm. But he's still doing it anyway. Yeah. And he's just assuming like, oh, I can do this. It's cool. It's not, but no one's going to correct him otherwise. And so he's always going to go on being low-key racist in a way and of course because it's tim heidecker like has a smarminess to it that i feel like tim heidecker is either good at non-comedy like what he does in tim and eric or like smarminess asshole in the same way that bradley whitford was in get out right even his tethered even takes the fucking robe and is like yeah trolling them even though it's you know what i mean he's the tethered dude when the tethered goes to like oh help his like wife who's dying Mm -hmm. and then he does the slick back his hair like fake you out that was so good and when he like hops on the boat he's just like i don't know that was like even when he's walking down he's like walking down the stairs (laughs) of the boat he's like I'm coming for you. Yeah, like he's having a good time. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They are just fucking with the family. That's also something that I kind of noticed this rewatch was the tethers specifically are not gunning for anybody but themselves. You see them hurt other people, but not necessarily kill other people. 
And there's even hesitancy at times when the tethered have somebody cornered and they're like, I could fucking just kill you right now, but I can't, but I can't. I got to back off. It's not part of the plan. It's not part of the plan, right? There is that weird thing, right? The Tylers, right? The white family, they like fuck with the Wilsons, but don't really attempt to kill them because they know we're not supposed to, right? Mm -hmm. That's not how this works. That kind of goes back to some of the larger metaphysical questions of, Again, if we're talking about sharing a soul and all that and like why they're doing what they're doing, is it one of those things where like you have to kill your doppelganger in order for you to become whole? So you can't kill somebody else's doppelganger or that ruins the whole thing. But yeah, I mean, there's definitely that element of class that I find interesting in this movie because America is just kind of one of those nations where there's rich and then there's really rich. Not a whole lot of poor and not poor. It's just poor. You know, that entire like middle class has largely disappeared and that gap is super, super wide between everybody else and the ultra wealthy. And so it's one of those things where like, even if you can work and pull yourself up to their level, whether it's your bootstraps or you have help or you work with other people or whatever, there's still just that weird disdain of you're still never going to be like me. You're still never going to be as good as me. You're still never going to like have what I have. That whole aspect of this movie is super interesting, and especially in relation to the tethered, because there's weird stuff going on with just food, hunger being kind of a constant thing that's driving them. You know, we learn that they only have rabbit to eat, and there's so many other scenes of people eating above in the world. You know, like we see the family eating the cobble pots cove seafood which that's definitely a fucking goonies reference right <laughs> but like lupita nyango's only eating strawberries and drinking water she also repeatedly later it's like no i don't want any alcohol i just want water we see people eating at the boardwalk uh we see people eating on tv earlier like there's just so many scenes of people eating and food being such a focus around the haves and the have-nots aspect of the tethered and the people above. And rabbit's one of those foods that you would think, oh, cool, you can totally live off rabbit, but you fucking can't because rabbits, the way that they metabolize everything, they don't have any of the other nutrients that you need to survive. They're just protein, basically. You know, so it's one of those things where, like, you can't just say, oh, well, they have what they need. They're fine. They'll get along when fundamentally they don't. And we do the same thing in real life constantly where we kind of downplay certain groups or certain people and just say like, well, they're fine. They have X, Y, Z, so they should be okay, right? We don't really understand, oh no, not having access to transportation or healthcare or mental healthcare is you know, a major thing in the country that Jesus Christ, we're all sorely needing. There's just so many things that, like we take for granted in our lives that we have that not everybody has. That's interesting to kind of dissect looking at the tethered and how they're living down below. And you can tell like a lot of them are fucking miserable because the doppelgangers above are doing things that's throwing their bodies around or causing them to like do behaviors that they don't want to do. They're constantly in like a weird state of anguish as well, which is, again, fucking terrifying thing to consider, especially knowing what happens with Adelaide and Red, that that gets flipped upside down. What if you're in the opposite situation now, where are you the one that's still in control, or are you now being controlled by somebody else? All of that is nightmare shit. <laughs> I just kept thinking of, what if your dumbass is just stuffing your face with Taco Bell? 
and then later on you're gonna have the shits and like what did that do to your tethered below you? Oh <laughs> like, sure, yeah. To bring it back to like the boat thing one more time, like so you got Tim Heidecker, he's got a great boat, right? And then you got Winston Duke's character one time, real quick. Shout out Winston Duke's thighs, but um, <laughs> uh, that's, that's specifically for my wife and not not just your wife, though. It's yeah, me too. all the women, all the gays, all the everybody out there who enjoys some good thighs. Yeah, Winston Duke, wanted us your to thighs shout are, that out. are a miracle. Um, <laughs> but so you get you know his character Gabe that you know he's like fuck, I need a boat, I want a boat, and then you just take it down to like abject poverty where. You get Red, who's just like, you got to grow up under the stars. You know what I mean? It's just something that's simple. Yeah. Just stars. It's like, no, I'm I'm in this fucking sardine can all day with insane people who have nothing, who are hungry. Or, and he's just like, I want a fucking boat. And that really just breaks down to you. Like, this is not a real problem. You know, you yeah. know? Yeah. You're not having a boat is not a real problem. And the family, too, you can tell through all the context clues that you're shown. This family's well off. They're not as well off as the white family that has this stupid fucking mansion and all this dumb shit on the inside, right? With a pier. Yeah. But that fucking vacation house that belongs to like one of their parents, I guess. It looks like it's Adelaide's mother's house, right? Mm. That house is fucking baller. I love that house. Such a dope house. But that's like a really nice house on a lake in California, right? That ain't Outside cheap. the city, like. Yeah, that shit ain't cheap. No. Gabe is wearing his Howard University mm-hmm. sweater. So, like, they're both educated. Right. They both have presumably very good jobs. We never really learn, like, what they do. But I think it's safe to assume that him and Josh work together. Yeah. 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 He has a good job. Exactly. So, like, this family is pretty fucking well off. You know, we're kind of already starting from that place, too, where, like, their kids seem very fucking well-adjusted and don't really want for a whole lot. And are smarter than their parents realize because I feel like when they were listening to I Got Five on it and she explains what the song is actually about to her brother and the parents are like, how the fuck do you know that? Yeah, (laughs) But there's definitely like that interesting dynamic too of them having to kind of reevaluate, oh yeah, shit, we have been chasing stuff and status and getting a real face-to-face with how the other side lives, right? The other side being, you know, their tethers, obviously, but in a larger metaphorical sense, just the people who are not as well-off. That's always, like, an interesting thing to play around with, no matter what the genre, but I feel specifically in horror because you can push things then to a point where those characters then have to actually physically, you know, or emotionally be tortured by that transgression of society a little bit. It also makes for some really funny, goofy shit as well, too. Like, again, the whole boat thing. You know, he's so proud of his boat, and the boat is kind of a piece of shit. Not really kind uh, of. It's definitely. Yeah. I <laughs> yeah. love the name of the Craw Daddy. That's that's yeah. some good shit. And it saves his life later on, too. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah. But yeah, I love that whole aspect that it's playing around with, that it really kind of does make you think about What's actually fucking important, right? Is important chasing status? Is it chasing stuff? Is it trying to keep up with, you know, the other people around you? Where do you sit in the larger scope of the rest of the world? You know, and just the whole important, but ultimately kind of empty message that the whole like hands across America thing was, you know, Jesus fucking Christ. It's what, 40 years later after that whole thing. And 
we're more divided now as a country than we ever have been, right? <laughs> so, like, it's kind of one of those aggravatingly funny things that you look back on and you're like, oh, yeah, times used to be really fucking simple when this was the big political statement that we all need to come together and hold hands for a better future and whatever, you know? To take it a step further, because you have no idea what the actual angle of the, the tethered are. And it's, again, one of those things that's left to your interpretation, never explain. But, like, are the tethered, once they lock hands, is that it? Like, was that their whole plan? Yeah. And so, like, if it is, it's just as empty as that whole fad was in the 80s. I mean, but Loki not, though, because Red says to Adelaide, she's like, I'm here to send a message. Exactly. I mean, she sends a message because no one knew about them. And it's like, yeah. oh, they're here. Yeah. So then you have that aspect of, on it, too. It is one of those things to think about, like, are the tether just going to stand there until they drop dead? Or is it going to be almost like an infection that moves the other city? Because the movie opens with there are thousands of miles of tunnels and caves underneath the U.S. So does that mean the underground network of the tethered is actually across the entire United States, so they're still tethered under other cities. That's the presumption, right? Yeah. Because yeah, in the, the final shot, is it just keeps going, and they keep showing them. Yeah, yeah. and it's mentioning that it's reaching other cities. If we're talking about what their goal is, you know, I think a lot of it is just, okay, reclaim the part of our souls that we have not had this entire time. We're going to reclaim the life that we should have had because we've been kept down this entire time. I mean, basically that. We're going to reclaim our dignity. We're going to reclaim our humanity. And yeah, there's not room for both of us to exist. So we're going to take out, you know, the people above who have taken for granted all the things that they have. And we're going to take their place and finally live the lives that we deserve to live. We're Americans. <laughs> there's, there's a fairly revolutionary message there. And yeah, I mean, I, f I feel like that's probably just as straightforward as that, you know? Yeah. So like going back to like how I had mentioned earlier, how every scene and every line and every piece of clothing, et cetera, seems deliberate and highlighting on just a lot of the messaging around this movie, uh, not just with classism, but, even just a throwaway line where Zora notes about the fluoride and the water that the government uses to control mm -hmm. her minds. It's a throwaway line poking fun at that conspiracy theory, but then come to find out later on in the movie, there was an even more fucked up yeah. conspiracy theory that... To control, specifically. Yeah, with the tethered. And so you have that idea of not being able to trust the government, but this is not only not being able to trust the government, but almost like Chud, Aaron, where the government just abandoned something and it was like, oh, it'll take care of itself. And Chud, it was the radiation under the city that turned people into Chuds. And in this movie, it's just, oh, it's a tether. They're mindless husk. We'll just leave them underground. What's the worst that could happen? Well, now that reckoning has come to the surface. And to take it again to the other thing that jumped out at me was not necessarily the idea of religion, but the idea of God and spirituality. Because the movie early on starts with the homeless man who's holding Jeremiah 1111. And then you see his tethered, and it has the 1111 tattooed on his own head. He's the first example of the tethered. You see his dead body later on. And then on the beach, their son finds the tethered just standing there starting the chain, basically. Yeah. Dash actually just pulled it up on his phone and showed it. I've just literally had this sitting open for like 20 <laughs> minutes yeah. of what Jeremiah 1111 means. Jeremiah 11.11, therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I am bringing disaster upon them that they cannot escape. Though they cry to me, I will not listen to them. Yeah. And that's the government for you, right? Yeah. And it's very fitting revelation to what happens later on in this movie. And then you have when Red is confronting her and saying all these things, 
she says it's God who gave her this revelation. God during the dance revealed himself to us and gave me this plan. And so it's fascinating that red evokes God in that way so many times, almost like, I don't know if crusade's the right word, but this crusade against their other selves that are on the top, almost like a justification for what's going on here. So again, I just think Jordan Peele really swung for the fences. The amount of layered approach to it, even beyond Get Out, is what's so entertaining and fascinating to me because it really is like looking at a painting that has so much detail on it that every time you go to look at it, you're going to see a different detail that sticks out at you. But you'll still be able to retain the major parts of it, I believe. Yeah. Because we haven't even gotten into everything involving the sun and how there certainly are elements that could point is the sun actually also a tethered and was replaced at one point. There's also that aspect, which I'm glad that I wasn't the only one who felt that way while watching it. (laughs) No, that I've heard that before. I think it's more just that. And again, this is something that's common in horror movies, but common in a lot of media that kids are simple and kids like don't, try to rationalize things the same way that adults do. Kids take things way more at face value. I'm pretty sure it's more just that he figures out what's going on because he's not trying to like rationalize his way out of the craziness of the situation. That's a good read, yeah. He sees a weird doppelganger family that is all of them, and he's the first person to call out, it's us, like, what the fuck? And he's not trying to like ask the why question. He's not trying to ask where they come from, why are they doing what they're doing, like, what do they want? He just knows they're here and they're doing this, right? He figures out pretty easily with Pluto is his doppelganger in the closet, you know, that they are kind of mirror imaged to each other emotionally and action-wise, and that's why he figures out how to defeat his doppelganger later. I think it's more just that he figures out what's going on because he's looking at it for what it is. He's not trying to Man, like, explain it to himself. That scene when he like defeats his doppelganger is so fucking haunting. Yeah, just full Christ pose backwards. Yeah, like Christ pose backwards, fall like into the flames. I think it's just one of those fan theories that I was having fun with in my head. It turns out there were other people online who had the same thing. That is Jason also possibly a tether that was replaced early in life at one point, but that was more just because like, he likes wearing masks. He's in a closed space, kind of like an underground facility. He seems to know about things faster than anyone else. He doesn't seem that bothered by the guy standing there on the beach with his hands dripping with blood, the Jeremiah uh, 1111 tethered. So that was the only reason why I just wanted to bring that up. But going back to the whole government conspiracy theory, and this might be a reach, but I, it made me honestly think back on to like the the Skigi experiment. There is always been that historical distrust for good fucking reason. Yeah. So I think that's another element you could look at with this movie as well. Oh, yeah. There are a lot of breadcrumbs in this, too, that kind of lead up to the final major reveal. And a lot of them I was wondering about. But man, again, I think I was just so wrapped up in this movie being so well made. I was looking at the technical side of things and like really analyzed the movie like that the first time I saw it. Normally, I'm really good about figuring out what the twist in something's going to be or kind of seeing where the story's going to go. And this was one where like, obviously by the end, I'm like, okay, you know, I, I see what's happening. But watching it again, there's just so many breadcrumbs. The one that I feel really dumb about is exactly what Dash brought up earlier. The scene in the car right from the beginning 
where she's like, yeah, get on rhythm. And then she's snapping completely off rhythm is one of the most obvious tells that I feel really dumb about not catching immediately, <laughs> even in the trailer, you know, it's, it's there, but there's lots of little pieces of things that play out later, like the ambulance toy blocking the door and that paying off later comments about fucking what's Tim Heidecker's name. Josh got like a brand new car, probably just to fuck with me. Oh, he's got such a fucking good car and then fucking stealing the car later. Like every line <laughs> is there for a reason you know there's nothing that's throwaway. the magic trick the magic trick coming back yeah we've talked a lot about how directors work and how much directors allow improv and don't allow improv and i have a feeling like looking at jordan peele's scripts and i've i've actually like read the script for get out i have a feeling that he is very much a director who's like no i wrote this shit for a reason so like say the line you know as written because it's important that you say the line and like have it this way because that pays off later so like don't fucking improv on this necessarily the one that jumped out to me the most that also made me laugh but also made the tethered version of her in my opinion for some reason was the scariest of the four for me when they're talking to Zora and like, oh, are you going to continue like running track? You should consider to keep going on with track. And that's just a throwaway line. But then later on, you see like her tethered is incredibly athletic and fast and like a track star. Yeah, man, her performance between Zora and Umbre. Oh, both of the kids are fucking awesome. In this movie. Yeah. Yeah. And Umbre is very much a play on the word Umbra, which is U-M-B-R-A, which is literally like the inner shadow cast of an object, the shadow part of anything, shadow or darkness, blah, blah, blah. So like you have that literal like shadow self thing there. But her character, for some reason, just the way she looks at everyone with that smile, and it's hinted by Red that she came out of the womb laughing, not crying, and she's always been a homicidal maniac. And then you see her in action, and she's like a fucking Terminator. I don't know. She was the one that creeped me out the most out of all of them. They're like, you know, you could go to the Olympics, Azora. And she's like, probably not. But that would suggest she's probably, I mean, maybe she could get like a scholarship. Maybe that's how good she is. But it's like, no, no, Umbre would go to the Olympics. Like, she would dust girls out there. Yeah. And then one more is Jason and Pluto. Definitely think the magic trick is what burned, you know, Pluto's face. Whatever mm-hmm. he was trying to use to, you know, recreate yeah. that is why he's scarred. Yeah. Again, fun. just things happening to the tether that are against their wishes, you know, like all things considered, like you said, Pluto would probably not have his face burned otherwise if Jason hadn't been fucking around with the magic trick thing. But there's also something to say, too, about what is the connection between them? Like, why does Jason like to wear masks? I mean, the like literal reason is Jordan Peele wrote it as like an homage to Jason from Friday the 13th wearing the hockey mask, but you have to wonder, like, did Pluto start wearing the mask to hide his scars? And that's what then kind of through the tether made Jason start to wear masks for no reason other than like, I just feel weirdly compelled to do this, you know? You even see it with the Tyler family, but also, of course, with the Wilsons, their tethered are also all exaggerations of their darker selves. Yeah. Pluto's obsession with fire umbre being a more it's not just competition it is pure psychopathy and desire to be kind of almost sadistic with them and so you have all those mirror image that 
it's part of the trope of evil doppelganger, but it's always fun to see. And Jordan Peele getting to play around with it is very creepy. And he's definitely playing around with it, too. A lot of the doppelgangers are, like, named very specific things. Yeah. The father, played by Yaya Abdul-Mateen, he's Russell in the real world. And then Wayland, W-E-Y, is his doppelganger, which instantly just makes me think that's got to be like an alien reference, right? <laughs> the Wayland yutani Corporation is the one that was responsible for yeah. the alien being birthed and unleashed, right? Makes sense that that's what his father name would be. I didn't catch that. Like a lot of the other ones... Danny Kitty. and Lloyd being like yeah. a reference to The Shining. Kitty and Dahlia. Dahlia is obsessed with the makeup. You know, Black Dahlia, I'm sure, plays into that as yeah. well. Yeah. Josh and Tex is his doppelganger name. And that reminds me of Tex from the Manson family. Yeah. I mean, there's just all kinds of goofy things like that. Like he put those all in there for a reason. The movie doesn't draw attention to it necessarily, but it's all there in kind of a fun way. With the Tylers? You basically kind of see the whole family just get axed all in one go, and it, that's pretty creepy when their doppelgangers just kind of come out of nowhere and get them. But the one scene with them that was really creepy was when Tex confronts him on the boat. He pulls out the flare gun because, you know, like Josh was mouthing off, oh, you forgot the fucking flare gun on your boat. You need a flare gun. He shoots the flare gun. It doesn't fucking work. And then him and Tex have mortal combat on the boat, but you don't see what's happening. And then it, the camera shifts to Dahlia, the tethered for Kitty, and she's watching what's happening from the window. And you see her starting to like get worried and then scream. And then her scream turns into laughter because I guess she's witnessing Tex be murdered. And that was just like also a very haunting image that jumped out at me, too, because it still shows that there is something there with the tether. As messed up and dark as it is, they react to this kind of thing. Like, yeah. even if they weren't together on purpose, like Kitty and Josh were, there was still some kind of connection between them, and then to watch him be killed caused that reaction. Well, they also don't have any way to express themselves outside of just raw emotional output. From what we are told, they are just down there. They have been down there, and presumably there's multiple generations, but none of them have learned to speak. Red is the only one who speaks throughout the entire movie based on how the movie ends and what we learn. There's a reason for that. And it's the same reason why when she comes back from her initial childhood trauma, they're like, why won't she talk to us anymore? Why is it taking so long for her to get back to normal? The tethered like don't have any other way to express how they're feeling or what they want or what their desires are because they functionally have never been <laughs> taught to express that. Right. They seem to communicate in grunts and clicking sometimes. Yeah. yeah. And like when uh, Adelaide finally gets read out of there and she goes back to full primal, you know what I mean? And she's like hissing kind of and biting her teeth, chomping really hard. And she reverts back to the tethered version almost for a split second when she yeah. takes her out. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because even during that fight, Red is very much dancing around her, being extremely graceful, outperforming her in a way. And Adelaide is savage swinging at her, trying to attack her in a very like animalistic approach. And then you're right, when she finally gets her, she does a very similar grunting, screaming noise that you've been hearing the tether do throughout the entire movie. That's a really good point. I didn't even think about that. Speaking of Nyango's performance and the voice and everything, she apparently worked with an ear, nose, and throat doctor and her dialect coach to develop her tethered voice. 
specifically, she wanted to do something that sounded similar to, and I should have written it down, but the vocal cord spasmodic disorder where like your vocal cords lock up and you have a hard time speaking. She didn't want to damage her voice. So she like worked with experts to kind of develop this vocal pattern. And apparently she would kind of stay in that zone a little bit while they were filming those scenes. And it aggravated some of the cast a little bit that she was staying in character, which that continues to be a fucking trend on our show, talking about people going full method and it just driving everybody <laughs> crazy. Her in full tethered mode is legitimately already scary as fuck, but like Terrifying. you never see her blink, I think. Yeah. She does the Hannibal Lecter thing that uh what's his fuck made as a character choice. And every time she cries, it's not out of sorrow as much as it is just holy shit, she hasn't blinked yet. Yeah. Yeah, just really, really fucking unsettling. I love Pluto constantly just scrambling around on all fours. Like that's also just so upsetting every time that you see somebody do that. I hate seeing gifs of people either crawling around all fours like that or like bent over backwards crab style and just exorcist walking. Yeah. Don't like it. Yeah. It's like the spider slicers from Bioshock. That's what he reminded me of. There's that video of that little girl who like loves horses. And she was like, I love my horse. I wanted to run like a horse. And it's just that little girl running on all fours. She like runs super fast on all fours. It's really, again, uncanny valley upsetting to like see this girl running on all fours. When you see it in the Megan trailer, when when Megan was uh-huh, it's it's in Megan too. It's like unsettling. it's a weird thing where you're just like, nope, don't like it. So yeah, <laughs> don't like that. Yeah. That weird, like something's this is off, this is bad. And I can't say why other than just it is. Like if you saw weird, Pluto yeah. like running after you, you'd be like, nah, get the fuck out of here. Because when he when he has uh, that mask on, he looks kind of like a fucking Silent Hill monster. <laughs> oh yeah. That weird fucking gimp mask, which again, if we're talking like the logistics of how the tethered live. Why do they have that mask? Where did yeah. that mask come yeah. from? <laughs> yeah, that's a big one uh, for me. What was the purpose of that? But yeah, I love, again, the look and the feel of this movie. The camera work in this is fucking gorgeous. I specifically gorgeous. wrote down, like, Mike Giolakis, the cinematographer. He did John Dies at the End, and It Follows, which we've covered, which is also, like, friends. a fucking stunning-looking movie. Also, I feel like... This movie hints at too when she says, like, I feel like something's coming after me and yeah. I can't escape it and it's almost here. Right. It's almost the reverse of it follows. Yeah. When she gets told that she's going to the beach when they are like on the way to the beach. And then when she sees the beach, it's like reverse order of it follows. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. oh, I don't see it. I'm good. Oh, you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 And it's also not that the doppelganger is following you as much as you're dragging the doppelganger. The doppelganger has to follow you instead of the other way around. Yeah. But yeah, he also shot a lot of Shyamalan's recent stuff. So like Split, Glass, Old Servant. He's also shooting this new movie that looks buck wild called Sasquatch Sunset. I can't wait. Wait. It looks to just be like a family of Sasquatches just hanging out living their no Sasquatch dialogue. lives and there's like no dialogue excuse me um what Sasquatch Jesse Eisenberg Jesse Eisenberg and Riley Keogh is Sasquatches and it's just them like living living yeah <laughs> okay this is gonna go straight up to the top of my list when it comes out <laughs> I think it's like next month and the month after yeah I'm oh shit super fucking interested in seeing this movie the trailer just came out a couple of days ago if you'd like to watch after yeah it looks pretty great. There is zero dialogue. Oh, my God. I mean, I've won a solid Rougarou 
horror movie, but <laughs> I'm down like a clown for Sasquatch Sunset. <laughs> so really weird and funny that you say that because so I was looking at the cast. We've talked a little bit about the cast so far. Callie and Noelle Sheldon that play Becca and Lindsay, the twins in the movie, they are most known as being the baby from the end of Friends. They did that goofy thing that they did all the time back in the 80s and 90s where they just cast a set of twins to play one character. That way you can just switch the kids out as needed. But they were both in a movie called Rougarou, and it was literally <laughs> literally about, oh shit, this person's dad breaks his Lent promise of giving up alcohol for Lent and the Rougarou's coming after him now. I was not going to mention that at all, but it's just weird that you brought that up specifically. I do like how one of them was very much just girly girl and the other was wearing like punk shirts, but they're both shitheads kind of that's hinted at in the movie. <laughs> they definitely both have the same attitude. Yeah. Yeah. Like one of them was in the first scene wearing like that black flag shirt. And then later on, before she gets killed, she's wearing the dead Kennedy shirt. A lot of black flag shirts going on in this movie, by the way, and I think a lot of it is maybe that there's a lot of 11-11 imagery here as well. Yeah. The TV at the very beginning that's showing like, oh yeah, the 11 o'clock news, 11 on 11, it's going to be whatever today. And then the black flag logo looks like an 11-11 as well. Like There's all kinds of shit like that hidden throughout the movie. I, I noticed that they're tethered, were Io and Nix, and I know... One is a moon of Jupiter, and Nyx, I think, is based off of a moon goddess, maybe, or something? Or it's the moon of Pluto, if I remember correctly? I think they're both myth names. I mean, so is Pluto, yeah. right? Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I didn't look it up, but I'm oh, pretty I didn't sure even, Yeah, I didn't even think about that for Pluto. I mostly just thought, like, Pluto the dog, and that's why he's running <laughs> on all fours. Like, uh, I mean, that also makes sense, yeah. though, in a weird way. Yeah, Nyx was a uh, moon goddess, I believe, yeah. from Greek mythology. Yeah, I know that Nyx is something, because I mean, there's the Mardi Gras crew of Nyx, right? Mm-hmm. I just didn't know, like, I couldn't remember, like, what specific character. Or, or night. It, it was, it's either night, moon, or both. I know, yeah. but whatever. But yeah. Tim Heidecker, obviously, he's from Tim and Eric, which again, you know, like I mentioned earlier with Peel. Tim and Eric do a lot of fucked up weird horror shit. <laughs> yeah, there is something about having comedic chops and having to understand timing and delivery and build up it's all the same muscles that you have to develop for horror and tim and eric just like jordan peele the same exact kind of thing like there's a lot of weird horror shit and there's stuff like the tim and eric bedtime stories specifically it's nothing but horror shit for whatever reason like it just <laughs> all devolves from being weird dream logic into just nightmare logic Shout out to the fucking episode Toes uh, with Bob Odenkirk as a doctor who just takes people's toes off for reasons dot dot dot. And then you find <laughs> out later he's been doing something horrible with all the toes. But Tim Heidecker, fucking wild piece of casting. And Heather mentioned this, too, because she also rewatched most of this movie with me. Jordan Peele and his casting directors, I don't think, get enough credit for the cast that they put together. In all three of his movies so far, the casts are Smoked so them. fucking good. Like, I would never think to put Tim Heidecker in this kind of role, but it works perfectly. And I would certainly oh my never God, think he's to pair so him good. with he was Elizabeth pro- Moss. Right. He was probably writing that role with him in mind. Oh, you yeah. know what I mean? Oh, yeah. 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 And Elizabeth Moss is also 
so far from somebody that I would think for this type of movie, let alone for this type of character, right? But she works great, and she seems like she's also having a fucking blast. I would have never thought to pair her with Tim Heidecker either, and oh, yeah. it works so well in this movie. That's also a funny thing with uh, Bridesmaids. Weird connections all a fucking round. So, like, Tim Heidecker is getting married to Maya Rudolph in that movie, and you would never think to pair them. Maya Rudolph is the daughter of Minnie Ripperton, whose fucking song, Le Fleur, is what closes out us, right, in this big, giant, operatic, ridiculous way. So, yeah, weird connections developing there. As far as, like, the Wilson family goes, the kids are fucking fantastic. They are really are. They have not been in a ton of stuff, because they're still young, so, like, you know, they probably still have school and all this other shit they're dealing with, but uh, Evan Alex, who plays Jason slash Pluto, he's been in a couple things since. Trees of Peace, Black Boy Joy, Shahadi Wright Joseph that plays Zora, she was in... Hairspray Live before this, which that might be one of the things that Peel saw her in, but she was in The Lion King and uh, Them, which was a pretty fun Amazon show, very similar in kind of theme with this movie in a weird way. Us and Them is a fire filmography. Yeah. Just <laughs> scrolling. Yeah. <laughs> okay, she was in Us. Yeah, what else? Them? Okay, yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. Madison Curry that plays young Adelaide slash Red. Um, this is still like her only real credit because again she's young i feel like it's a lot of the like let these kids be kids and be in school first but also she's gonna be fantastic yeah she her dude her stare literally every time i saw her i'm like just do not come through the screen and slit my throat please i'm (laughs) begging you yeah she definitely has that like psycho kid look for sure i hope to see all three of these kids and stuff going forward So I I hope they stick with acting and that's something that works for them going forward. Bruh, even Umbre, like when she's dying, is still smiling. Yeah. Yeah. That was so fucking creepy. Fucking bent all around like a pretzel. Anna Diop plays the mother in the flashback scenes, Rain. She's been a lot of TV stuff. She was on the show Titans and uh, most recently in the book of Clarence. By the way, and this is unrelated. So she plays Starfire. Mm Mm-hmm. And Titans. The best the best Starfire adaptation. I'm not super into DC. I didn't know that her character, her like so her superhero name is Starfire. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that like her actual in air quotes real name is Coriander. Yeah, you messaged me about that earlier and I, I wasn't available to the respond. Fuck? What what yeah. is this? What is this <laughs> DC nonsense? Coriander? It, it, it's comics that's writing. Yeah, it's Starfire. It, it is comic shit, but still, it's just, uh, I, I think I messaged you back like, yes, hi, I am Iron Justice, but my real name is Car the Mom. I mean, how many superheroes have, duh, duh, Peter Parker, something like that. Enigma is fucking the Riddler. Like, it's just, it's the way comic books are. I know, and it's also just fucking dope, but yeah, that, that cracked me up. I didn't realize that, like, that character's name was fucking Coriander. Starfire's sister, Blackfire, her name is Commander. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Yep. Oh, comic books from the 70s. So, what I find to be wild in Real terms quick, of you this- forgot one person. That's very important, because I'm going to say something after. So, you got to Anna Diop, and then who's up, uh, above her? Yes, so that, that's who I was going to mention next. Okay. Uh, Dash and I are actually sitting together, which is a nice change of pace to be podcasting in the same room with somebody instead of constantly just being through Zoom like Derek and I do it every time. He's peeking on my notes a little bit, but what's wild is the next three people I'm going to mention. So 
Yaya Mateen, the Winston Duke, and Lupita Nyong'o are all graduates of fucking Yale drama. And all three of them seemingly just appeared on the scene in the last several years, just out of nowhere, and have had crazy good fucking careers. Yaya Abdul-Mateen II, who plays the dad in the flashbacks. And I was like, wait, what? That's all he's going to be in this movie? That seems weird to cast him, and he's not in this movie more, right? So he is in both Aquaman movies as Black Manta. He is fucking awesome in the Watchmen TV show, which, Derek, you need to watch that. I do need to watch that, yeah. yeah. Watchmen is so fucking good, and man, was I a naysayer about that when they first announced it. I was like, nope, what are we doing? This is a waste of time, and that show is so fucking good. Didn't he win an Emmy for that as well, for Watchmen? Yeah, Yeah. he's really fucking good in that. Two separate DC character bags. Just Uh think about that. Wow. Well, and I will say Black Manta is the only cool part of Aquaman to me in the comics and otherwise. I don't give a shit about Aquaman, the character, but I always loved Black Manta for some dumb reason. I don't know why. It's not dumb. It's because he's a badass. He looks badass. He's black. Like, I love that goofy-ass giant ufo fucking black with the giant red bug eyes diving suit he's in i just i love that aesthetic about black mana so much and you know what both of those movies are fucking dumb i just watched (laughs) the new one recently but you know what he's really fucking good and he's completely playing that shit straight which is what's great about it especially in the second movie momoa and patrick wilson are just so constant fucking snarky irony about isn't all this like really fucking dumb and Mateen is playing it totally fucking straightforward villain and it's kind of great I'm gonna kill your asses exactly like the entire time he's like what the fuck no I'm gonna kill you you fucked up my life you killed my dad yes I'm coming after you he is also in the trial of the Chicago 7 Michael Bay's ambulance recently he is the lead in the Candyman reboot sequel whatever we want to call it oh sh- which i will be here spoiler for that. alert shit we are going to cover that one in the near future as well okay dash we're gonna get both you and kelly on that might have to be a four that's person that's what i already yeah. told them i was like yeah because yep, that's gonna be a good conversation i'm excited to watch that it's really Spider-Man. fucking good yeah it's really fucking because I love the shit out of Candyman. It was my first time watching that when we covered it recently. And I'm very excited to watch the newest one. One of my favorite complaints for any m- recent movie release I've ever heard is, dude, they made Candyman woke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jesus Christ. Last thing I want to mention with Yaya, he is also in The Matrix Resurrections, which I was telling Dash the other day, where I was like, bro, you got to watch it. Especially like if you appreciate how off the wall fucking weird The Matrix sequels are messy. They are imperfect. They are kind of disappointing with where they leave things. And The Matrix Resurrection, I think, is taking that fucking weirdness, going meta, and kind of concluding everything in a way that's actually pretty satisfying. Everybody is very, like, hit or miss on that movie. Like, they either hate it or love it. And I feel like I'm going to love it when I watch it. I I need to also see it. You got to check it out, man. And his role in that is so weirdly specific. I'm not going to say anything about what his role is. You just need to watch it. Don't look at anything about it because you're going to immediately like start thinking about like, how do I feel about this? It's fucking buck wild. Did y'all see he is also now going to join the MCU? Yes, he's going to be the star and Wonder Man. Yeah, when they, when they yeah, 
if that happens, I another guess we'll... superhero bag for my king. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to see like if that one actually happens with all the shit that Disney is currently canning now. And apparently like a crew member just died on the set recently. Oh Oof. fuck. I didn't know about yeah, that. So like <laughs> who, who the fuck knows with that show. Last I checked, it's still on for release. I think by September this year, maybe. Yeah. As what? No shot. They're gonna push that back. Yeah, probably. I didn't yeah. even know he was in it, and it's supposed to be September. Yeah. yeah, we'll we'll see if that happens. Dash and I were talking about this the other day. It worked out, man. I appreciate the fact that Yaya's like, yo, I'm gonna be fucking Black Manta, and I'm gonna collect that paycheck, and this movie's gonna be fucking stupid, and I'm still gonna bring the thunder. <laughs> the DCEU, nobody cares about that. Like, especially with the second movie that just came out that landed with the thud because. That universe is dead. Nobody cares anymore. Move on. Right. Why did anybody care about seeing this? But that movie made money, right? So he got a fat check, but then he can like then turn around and jump into like smaller indie stuff that he wants to be in or like producing stuff that he wants to see made and just, yeah, be in big IP shit, cash those checks and then turn around and go do something small. Dude was just nominated for a Tony for a Broadway like top leading actor in a play. Yeah. He was just in theaters. Future yeah. EGOT winner. I see it. I see it in the yeah. stars. Yeah. So all this talk about superhero shit that then easily moves us into our two leads. So Winston Duke who shout plays out his thighs. Gabe. Yeah. Shout out to his thighs. Absolutely. <laughs> Yale theater and drama background, but he moved into TV and then pretty much immediately, like, the first major screen role was fucking in Black Panther as maybe the most breakout character in that fucking movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's fucking amazing in that movie. He's still one of the best, funniest characters in the entire MCU. Not just Black Panther, which was, like, a huge, major, big fucking deal and made mm-hmm. all the money when it came out. But then he immediately was in the next two Avengers movies as well, which were, like, massive, big tentpole made all the money kind of thing he came in like at the perfect time and was in the right bit of stuff well and talk about like taking a character that in the comics was kind of uh, otherwise always like a bc list villain that was a throwaway and you didn't really know unless you're reading black panther sometimes he would show up in like other avengers books but taking that character and making it so iconic just in his performance well to a character that was very sketchy, uh, yeah, yeah, questionable depiction of certain cultures, kind of character too. from the seventies. You know, I think he went by the moniker Man Ape in the comics for a long time. Yeah, like he is also, and this is our ding 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 for Batman. He voices Bruce Wayne slash Batman in a Spotify drama series called Batman Unburied that was pretty what some of that shit what yeah okay you blew my mind with Sasquatch Sunset and now you're blowing my mind yeah hold on what Winston Duke is the voice of Batman in Batman Unburied I don't know if it's still a Spotify exclusive but it was a like made for Spotify Batman dramatic series well I'm adding that to my list too Okay, last we get to Lapita Nyong'o, my fucking queen. Love her. Absolutely. Amazing. Amazing actress. Out the fucking gate, 12 Years a Slave. Buck wild in that movie that that's immediately kind of her first big debut. She wins a fucking Oscar for that movie. Definitely a like, watch it one time and you're probably good for the rest of your life. Yeah. A hard to watch movie, but a movie everybody needs to watch. Mm-hmm. A complete 180 from that movie. She's in nonstop, which is one of the better 
Liam Neeson is an old man who shoots things, action movies about him on a plane and the plane gets hijacked or whatever. Lupita Nyongo's one of the stewardesses in that one who's kind of crucial to helping him, you know, work things out. Is it a nonstop flight? Yes. <laughs> wop, wop. <laughs> one could say it's even more nonstop now that it's been hijacked. God damn it. <laughs> and then from there, she has been fucking Disney queen supreme between being in all the Star Wars Hold sequels. On. What is she in the Star Wars sequels? She's Maz Kaneta. Uh... Yeah. It's unfortunate that, like, she wasn't just in the movie. She's doing yeah, a mocap I'm character. Like, what the fuck? But yeah, she's in all three of those movies. I didn't know that was her voice, so I she does a pretty no fucking good job, yeah. Right. She's also in The Jungle Book. Again, same thing. It's like a mocap performance. You go back and listen to both of the characters, it's like, oh yeah, that's her voice for sure. <laughs> Obviously, she's, you know, Nakia in the Black Panther movies. She is in a fucking delightful horror comedy called Little Monsters that I know I brought up as a recommendation a while back, where she's a kindergarten teacher on a field trip with her kids to like a petting zoo. And then there's a zombie outbreak in the middle of all that. And so a lot of it is just her, like with her ukulele singing songs with the kids to distract them from seeing all the horrible shit. But that's very funny movie. I need to watch that movie. (laughs) That will be watched. She's in a movie that I saw this listing. I was like, what the fuck? This is like the most, it doesn't exist movie I've ever heard of. It's called the three fifty five. It is a kick-ass lady spy movie, apparently based on real shit, about a group of spies who find some crazy new extra-governmental weapon that they have to secure and then like do away with before it causes harm. But the cast is Jessica Chastain, Penelope Cruz, Diane Kruger, Lupita Nyong'o, Fan Bingbing. Like, it's a crazy cast. Oh, and, and like Sebastian Stan is in it, too. Jason Fleming, like, it has this wild cast, and this came out in 2022. I've never fucking heard of this movie. This was a theatrical movie. This wasn't like some shit that got dumped to Peacock. What is this? Where is this movie? How have I never seen a trailer for this? How have I I never heard of this movie? Can I watch it? Does it exist, right? What the fuck is this movie? That feels like something that probably got shot five years ago, got fucked up because of the pandemic, never got released, and then it got dumped in theaters for a week and then just disappeared. It seems like very much one of those tax write-off projects. And I was like, okay, what is Lupita about to be in now? She's apparently in a month going to be in the next Quiet Place movie called Day One. Oh, is it a series? I I think so. Oh, shit. I thought it was just like a movie. So yeah, she's about to jump back into horror with A Quiet Place. So that'll be pretty interesting to see. I've mentioned before on this show, we, you know, we get deep into production sometimes. And then sometimes there's those movies where it's like, man, there's not a whole lot to talk about as far as the production. And this is kind of one of those movies where like Jordan Peele was like, here's my next movie. The studio was like, cool, we're down. Here's money. He shot it and we have the movie. And there was not a lot of drama that went on. It was pretty uncomplicated as far as the making of this movie. Peele has kind of said his inspiration for the story was... The Twilight Zone episode Mirror Image, which I did watch that. It is on Amazon Prime if anybody is interested to watch it. It's fucking 25 minutes. It's a good episode, too. And I was telling Dash right before we recorded, man, TV used to be real simple back in the day. (laughs) Really just basic premise of a woman who is at a bus station waiting on the bus, and she thinks she sees a double of herself, but nobody believes her. But then everybody keeps being like, lady, leave me alone. 
you know, you already came up here and asked me about the bus five minutes ago. And she's like, no, I didn't. Right. A lot of that shit. The guy that works the bus terminal kind of cracked me up because constantly he's just like, this dumb broad, she must be fucking steaming out the ears. Get her dumb ass out of here. Go sit down, lady. You're fucking hysterical. Like, he's constantly just the most angry and talking shit to her and sexist at all times in that weird 1960s kind of way. But it also has like a pretty good fuck you ending like most of the Twilight Zone episodes do. So that's fun if anybody wants to check it out. But the other thing that Peel mentioned was his commute during college. The subway station that he got to and had to like let out at was one of those weird stations where you had to go through an underground tunnel under the road, and he would imagine that one day he would see himself coming out the opposite end, and that's kind of weird and fucked up. So that was the other thing that he said was an inspiration. Also, I just need to talk about how much of a travesty, absolute abject horseshit that... (laughs) Lapita didn't even get a nomination for Best Actress this year. And I'm just going to go ahead and read the following. We say this year, like for 2019, for the year yes, of this movie. Yes. Yeah. So uh, we have Olivia Coleman. You sure. know, that's the queen herself as well. So we'll, we'll let that go. <laughs> I'm not 100% how to uh, say this name. I've never even heard of this movie, though. Yelita Aparicio. She's in Roma, yeah. Okay. okay. It was for Roma. Glenn Close, the wife. She has enough accolades. Let's be honest. She's not doing her best work right so now. So Glenn Close was, in air quotes, the obvious front runner. Mm-hmm. Everybody was like, well, it's her time. She's never won an Oscar. This is the movie she's going to win her Oscar for. And Olivia Coleman was kind of the like out of nowhere dark horse winner mm-hmm. of that year that like surprised everybody for the favorite. But Glenn Close was the one that everybody was assuming, oh, this is your fucking it's about time kind of Oscar. Yeah. Which, you know, hey, listen, we shouldn't do. We shouldn't just. This happens in sports all the time, too, where it's just like, oh, they never won it at a great year and a newcomer who should have won it didn't get it. But we're just going to give it to them. What's the case for most of the acting Oscars is we owe it to them. They have a great body of work. It's like just like Leo getting toyed with with the bear and then they they just handed it to him (laughs) essentially. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Lady Gaga, a star is born. Sure. Okay. (laughs) You know, this feels like a box office pick, you know, and and fandom pick. I'm going to be honest. Like, she's great. She didn't do better than Lupita. And then we have uh, Melissa McCarthy. And can you ever forgive? That's the one I would maybe boot out. Listen, she deserved to be nominated, in my opinion. And um, she was robbed. Yeah. Lupita's performance in this is fucking awesome. I agree. And it's kind of like we've talked about with Hereditary, too, that. Why the fuck was Tony Collette not nominated for robbed. that? Right? It's just one of those constant examples of Mia Goth and Pearl robbed. Yeah. Larger awards bodies not recognizing horror for whatever reason. Even though, again, if we're talking about, oh, that seems like a box office populist choice. Um, pretty consistently since literally the dawn of film, horror movies have been driving the box office and will continue to do so. So, like, if we're talking populist box office picks, Seems pretty obvious you should look at your Tony Collettes and your Lapita Nyongos when they're giving stellar performances, right? It's wild to me that 2023, 2024, we're still having this discussion of why can't horror be nominated in serious big boy categories? Yeah. It just doesn't make any sense when half the best movies of the year are usually horror or horror adjacent movies. Yeah. Fucking everyone went gaga over Parasite. With reason, Parasite's a great movie, but Parasite is arguably a horror adjacent movie, if not a horror movie. Come on, guys. And what's aggravating is having that movie and then Get Out winning in the same like two-year span, there's that immediate knee-jerk of, we gave horror movies Oscars 
just last year or the year before. We don't have to do that again this year. It's fine. There's always kind of that weird, oh, we gave them one a while back. We don't have to worry about it again. It was was kind of the same weird thing with The Exorcist back in the 70s, and then it was kind of the same thing over again with Silence of the Lambs in the 90s. Horror had its day, so like we don't have to do horror for the next few years. And meanwhile, yeah, in the last several years, every year there's something that's pretty fucking iconic and... Again, Us is definitely up there, especially for me. I love this fucking movie, so I'm glad we are finally talking about it. I'm glad Dash came on for it. I'm glad you finally watched this movie. So I know uh, Kelly is definitely chomping at the bit to do Nope. Yes, and I me too. Definitely told him I was like, gotta wait a little bit longer. We're sticking to that two-year rule. But Nope is one that I'm definitely looking forward to talking about as well. And I'm very curious to see. I mean, they just announced... Jordan Peele's next movie is going to be 2025. That makes sense. He's been kind of consistently going three years, three years, three years. So I'm curious to see what his next one is. And I'm excited and I'll certainly be there. I don't know about day one. It's hard to get to movies on day one nowadays. You know, I will definitely be there opening weekend for sure. He still stays busy, though, in between. He'll write and produce a lot of stuff, too. Oh, yeah. He produces a ton of shit. Again, the Candyman reboot is another example of him kind of taking his star power and industry power now to say like, yo, let's do this. Let's make this. Here's a director that I think is got a lot of talent. Here's stars that I like. Let's put them in this. He's very much paying it forward in a way that I always love seeing with directors and he's paying for it but they're also paying it off they're all coming up clutch and that's why i'm upset that jean jacket got snubbed this year at the oscars too but we'll show you derek in two years when we're able to do that episode yeah (laughs) i hope he continues to cast people like bradley whitford and tim heidecker in these douche roles because it's always fun to see those smarmy bastards get their comeuppance in these movies yeah he knows exactly what he's fucking doing in that regard so yeah fun stuff us you know i didn't bother to check and see where it is streaming right now i believe it is still on netflix i believe it is on prime i rented it on uh not on YouTube, but somewhere else. I paid three yeah. bucks to rent it. It's worth it. Yeah. This is a new movie. It's readily yeah. available. So everybody that's listening should have easy access to it if you don't already. Two last things I wanted to mention. I totally forgot to make this point earlier. I think, and this kind of goes back to, I guess, like some people being mixed on this movie. I feel like maybe even more so than Get Out. I think everyone universally agrees Get Out is amazing piece of movie making, etc. I might be wrong, but I personally feel like in the coming years, us will be reevaluated. Oh, I yeah. Think so. yeah, yeah. I think people are going to come back to it and be like, we didn't appreciate it as much as we should have it when it first dropped. Something else I didn't mention, I guess, as far as final thoughts go, it is interesting to see how younger generations are reacting to this movie. So, like, you and I are basically the same age, Derek. Dash, you're basically a generation behind us. I think there's like a seven, eight year gap between us. And then there's like a 12 year gap between me and my sister-in-law and my youngest brother. They are very firmly Gen Y. And it was interesting talking to them about what works in this movie with them. And both of them said, oh, the idea of a doppelganger that fucks us up. That's weird. Danielle specifically was talking about how like the idea of somebody imitating you online and fucking your life up in every way that you can think of because they are pretending to be you or they are like assuming your persona. You know, that whole weird fear of imitation takes on a completely new meaning in like a digital kind of way, in a very online kind of way that the younger generation of people going forward are like relating to more and more. So that being kind of a very innate fear is something that I'm curious to see how this movie 
plays with those same generations as they get older and discover it. Even with Talk to Me more recently, Gen Z Horror, isn't it very much about spirits taking you over and using your body as like a puppet basically for them yeah. in that possession way. I forget you haven't seen that yet, but yeah, that's part of it for sure. And then especially on TikTok, I've been starting to like dig into Gen Z analog horror and a lot of it is really interesting, weird, creepy shit. Very much like Tim and Eric, but even more analog and random and fucked up in some ways. But a lot of that born out of creepy pasta analog gen z horror we're seeing online deals with doppelgangers like digital doppelgangers even sure so i think that's interesting that they really responded to that aspect of this film especially with like what happens to her character by the end with the final revelation between red and her that leads me to the last point i was gonna make i will say while i really liked the performance and i liked the way red spoke disability groups for spasmodic dysphonia which is that type of disorder did criticize that they based her performance off of that and then put it on a antagonist, quote unquote, of the movie. And she did later come out and apologize for that. But I just felt like I should throw that out there because that was a criticism that was leveled from these huh. disability rights groups. So I feel like it, it should be noted. My final piggyback note off that is that um, I would say Red is the protagonist. If you, if you, just, yeah. you know, just kick that around. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah i should have said i was putting that in quotations that you guys saw but the listeners in it but i was doing quotations <laughs> with my fingers when i said the antagonist <laughs> oh yeah cool dash uh what final thoughts have you got jordan peele thank you very much for everything you do uh i yes. cannot wait till <laughs> the fourth movie of yours comes out love and respect horror i hope we see a scream queen win an award that they should soon it needs to happen yeah absolutely Man, I think I might go watch Nope well before we actually like do an episode on it. Like, <laughs> you should. You should. Honestly. You should. Because I think you should have it rolling around in your head for longer than just the handful of days before we talk about it. And again, just another all-star fucking cast. Oh, yeah. Just looking through the, the cast list. Heather was joking earlier, Kiki Palmer might have more charisma than literally anybody living alive right That's now. Fair. So. That's a fair yeah. assessment. Cool. Well, hell yeah. This was a fun conversation. Enjoyed talking about this. One of my favorite new horror movies. Dash, thank you so much for thank coming you for on. Me on. It was a pleasure. I will be yeah, back Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. Derek, it was nice to meet you. It was nice to meet you. And we got to put you noted and slotted in for a few movies now. Yes, please. Yeah. Beyond the Black Rainbow, the more recent uh, Candyman. Mandy, Mandy, Pearl, Candyman. Yeah. And Pearl. No. Dash, have you got anything specific that you want to like? plug or mention or anything that you're involved in that you want to throw out or uh no movies are great you should watch more movies and tv shows especially horror that's all i got for you absolutely enjoy art enjoy horror absolutely cool well uh i guess that is gonna be it for this episode derek you want to take us out sure we are watch of dare horror movie podcast hosted by me the coward and Aaron, my movie Monster Boy co-host. You can find us at pretty much anywhere you you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify. Go to our Podbean website that is linked on our Facebook and Twitter. We are at Watch If You Dare on both those. Um, Our Podbean website has links to all the podcatchers, our Patreon, socials, etc. Yeah, big thanks to the powers that be at Podbean for, uh, I guess, not nominating, but making us the like featured podcast of the week recently. So that was yeah, that was cool. cool. Thank you. Check out our music playlist on our Spotify music playlist again. You can find that on our Podbean website, and it's also pinned to our Facebook. 
I mentioned it earlier in the episode. Please consider throwing some money at our Patreon. It's only $5 a month. Gets you access to bonus content. Aaron and Nate from the Animorphin Time and Bruce Campbell podcast talked about horniest horror movies and it was a delightful conversation i'm kind of jealous i i was unavailable perfect valentine's day episode just yeah. wet and wild late night times yeah if you want to hear them talk about woman fucking car titane <laughs> also a movie that dash just recently watched it was like what the fuck yeah <laughs> it, was very, it was very tight <laughs> literally uh, so yeah we'll we'll hopefully get some interviews uh going on that otherwise we'll we'll definitely yep. be talking about lists and tv shows like we have been and providing commentary tracks on like more batshit horror movies on there so again five dollars a month we're on patreon.com slash watch if you dare consider joining going back to music shout outs to your little brother jesse mansfield for the bumps at the beginning end of each episode you can find all of his stuff at party gator on Bandcamp. he's also part of possums and big clown and two or three other music projects i think he's always put down music yep yeah and i think that's it any final thoughts? No, because uh, we got to figure out an ending. I don't think it's going to take that long to... Hold on, Heather's... Hey, is everything okay? <coughs> Baby? Uh, Why do you have that ice cream scoop? <coughs> oh, shit! <coughs> Fuck! <coughs> <coughs> Sally! <coughs> Call the police. Now playing Every Breath You Take by the Police. Every breath.